welcome to another episode of Tech Move. This is episode 15. In today's episode, we're going to be covering Keith's newest gear acquisition that will bring him into the world of 4K. We also have a groundbreaking first interview ever with a world-renowned director and cinematographer, Jason Wingrove. And Rod makes the leap into digital audio recording. That and much, much more on today's episode of Tech Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, the kids are back at it again. With me is the most excellent Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you? I'm good. Sorry for my voice. That's okay. Uh, it's, it's a way to come in, I'll tell you that much. Uh, and I am the most above average Rod Louie, uh, welcoming you to another great episode of Tech Move, where in today's episode, it's action-packed. I mean, it is just like explosion after explosion, where today we have part two of the thought-provoking discussion called Technology versus Humanity. Uh, we go into that into depth, and we have our very first interview, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, the interview is with uh, a friend of the show, uh, an Excellent, excellent filmmaker. His name is Jason Wingrove, and he comes all the way from Australia to talk to Keith, and uh, we get to listen to that interview. And Keith, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear that one. Yeah, yeah, it was a really fun interview, and and I think the listeners will really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I and I'm, I'm excited to hear it myself. Uh, so we, we've got a lot of stuff to pack into only. <laughs> Three hours worth of show. So uh, anyway, hey, uh, let's uh, let, let's move on to uh, what a little birdie told me about the FS seven hundred and some sort of firmware update. Is there is that true, Keith? Yes, as as everybody knows, I I purchased an FS seven hundred pretty close to when it came out last year, and I've talked about it a bit on previous episodes. And honestly, I it's a great camcorder. Uh, it's a little bulky for me right now, uh, just because I got the um, Canon C100, uh, and I use it a little bit more now. But something that maybe will have me digging my FS700 out of my uh, travel case and dusting it off is the 4K firmware update. Holy mackerel! You got to be kidding! So, uh, uh, was it just uh, like you said, a firmware update? It, it's uh, as simple as that. Uh, frankly, no. It's not as <laughs> it's not as simple. Nor are, are, are you it, are you hacking? Uh, it's not. I don't think it's hacking, but it's not cheap. It's oh. it's like getting a whole new camcorder worth of expense. Wait a minute. Hang on. You mean yeah. there's a charge to this update, huh? Well, the firmware update is not too expensive. I think it's about four hundred dollars for the. Oh, that's the a drop in the bucket. Yeah, that's not the big thing. The big thing is how do you record the four K? Right. Because once you've updated the firmware, it it, it now will spit out four K out of the SD outputs, oh. uh, SDI outputs. 
right. which are these kind of uh, special connectors or like round connectors that are used in professional gear. Uh, it used to just be a, a first generation SDI output. Um, I think it upgrades it to third generation uh, SDI output. I don't know if there was a second one in the middle that they just skipped over. And that allows you to spit out a lot more bandwidth out of that port. But what do you do with it? How do you record it? That's where some of the big expense comes in. And uh, I'm afraid to ask <laughs> what that... I mean, like, you're already telling me that the firmware update is 400 smackers. Right. And you, now you're telling me that where you're going to output this uh, this new 4K update, uh, you know, because obviously you can't do it to anything built into the camera. You got to have something external for it. Right. Well, go ahead and lay it on me. Well, uh, you can, you have two options for the HD recording. One is uh, the Sony uh, uh, recorder, which is pretty expensive. And I'm just looking. It's called the Sony HXR-IFR5. And it's, um, it's a pretty high-end recorder. It's kind of made to go on the kind of on the back of your of your FS 700, but kind of in a strange way. It really, it, it takes up a lot of space. I, I don't think I would ever get that unit um, just because it makes the camera to something really even more gigantic than it is. Uh, <laughs> and it's also $2,200, which isn't that expensive, but you're right. Uh, but then you have to add stuff to it. And, it, and, and I think the whole thing, if you get the, if you go the Sony route, it turns out to be like $5,000. So, um, you can buy a there, 4K camera for for four and a half. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. I'm what, looking what at you? I'm looking at a Sony FDRA X1 4K camera. Uh, yeah, for uh four thousand five hundred bucks. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's true. It's it's not quite as um high end as the as the FS 700 though. No, yeah, it's it's a little bit more of a camcorder, but yeah, yes, you could get, it is. yeah. You can get a camcorder. You can get a couple different brands of cam, uh, 4K camcorders for that. But uh, but you know, since I have the 700, why uh, why get another less capable camcorder? Why not upgrade it? So right, there's another option which is great. This um, company that makes uh, external HDMI and SDI recorders is called Convergent Design, and uh, they have uh, Convergent Design. They've come up with a new recorder, pretty much tailored to the FS700, although it will record off of other camcorders, and it's called the Odyssey 7 and 7Q, and we can look that up. Now, that uh, is is a, a nice recorder. It's actually a really nice display. It's an OLED 7-inch display, but it happens to have a really nice recorder in it as well, and that's about $2,300. Hmm. So you'll if you see a picture of it, you'll notice all those SDI inputs and outputs. So that actually can has a a lot of different ways of recording HD, 2K, and 4K. Uh, it can record RAW in various formats and record ProRes, and I think it can record ProRes uh, or some something like ProRes uh, compressed version of of different formats to save a little bit on the hard drive space. Uh, one of the issues is you have to buy their brand of uh, of SSD drive, so that's a little bit more expensive than a standard SSD, but it's not unreasonable. It's not 
exorbitant. It's not like the old P2 cards or the Sony SBIS cards. It's it's a pretty good deal for what you get. And and what why do you have to buy theirs? Uh, just because normal SSDs will not work. They will just won't fit, and the the uh, recorder won't recognize them. Very smart of them. Yeah, so they have a little bit extra built-in profit because it actually is a pretty inexpensive unit for what it does. Mm. You know, you're you're getting really for the price of a high quality monitor, you're getting this a monitor plus you're getting a really amazing recorder. Yeah. So I'm I'm on the way to getting the stuff. I'm going to probably be getting this stuff if I can this year the the problem with the the convergent design odyssey is that it's really back ordered like they just started shipping it. Uh and so people have had this on order for like a year since they announced it. Uh it's just coming out now in little little trickles. So even if I ordered it now I might not get it until January. Oh, which really? is kind of a shame. Yeah. 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 So, but I'm probably going to put my order in for it pretty soon. And then I'm going to have a 4K really nice camcorder. Uh and I'll be able to, you know, charge 4K prices potentially. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that will I I'm I'm looking at it right now and you're right at what 1300 bucks or something like that. I think that's what it is, 1300. Uh, uh, the no, Odyssey the, Seven. Well, the Odyssey Seven is 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 actually one version of the Odyssey, which is a nice uh, monitor. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have the one with the recording option on it, it's actually uh, about a thousand dollars more. It's it's twenty two ninety five for that one. So what is that? The Odyssey Seven Q or something? Yep, it's the Odyssey Seven Q Raw. 7Q. I'm looking. Oh yeah, twenty two ninety five. I'm looking at it right now. Nice looking unit. Boy, it looks smart. Yeah, looks and, really, really uh, great. Yeah, so you can use it as a as an on camera or even a remote uh, monitor if you want to mm -hmm. have a long uh, cable, and then you need to get an SD card. So that's another, um, I think, six hundred dollars something like that. What kind of and what kind of SD card would you have to get? I mean, how what what's what's their max uh, uh, storage that they have on it? Well, let's see. I think they. Um, I'm looking it up. Uh, they have a two fifty gigabyte version. I think they have a a 480 gigabyte the the 250 is not too bad it's a 395 for the 250 mm -hmm. and i think the uh the 480 is like twice as much as maybe 750 mm -hmm. for that so it's not too bad it's not a, it's not a rip off right um i probably would wind up getting the maybe two of the 256s i think you can put two in at mm -hmm. once and then you can uh, potentially rotate them you know you can uh fill up one if you're doing raw you might be filling them up pretty quick and then take them out offload it to to your to your computer and then put in the other one have them kind of rotating so that's what you i used to do with my ex1 back in the early days when i only had eight gigabytes yeah. on each one i would rotate the sbis cards because they're really expensive back then um, now you can get you know sixty four gigabyte cards in there, but yeah, right. back then it was it was so it's probably going to be the same process. Mm -hmm. But I, I see I, I see using this not only for four K, but for really nice um, uh, green screen work, compositing, mm -hmm. anything where I need edges to be really sharp that I'm going to composite, or just I'm going to I know I'm going to grade them later. Right. So potentially I can record raw. With this, with this, I don't know if I'd want to because it uses up a lot of data. Right. But if I need to, I w I can. 
Right. So it's kind of exciting. It's like going into a different realm yeah. of, of acquisition. Uh, a, a big question will be, will you be able to edit it on your uh, current system? Uh, yeah. I think Premiere Pro supports this stuff. Okay. Different formats that it that it puts out. So I think I'll be able to. Okay. Probably have to get a little bit more hard drive space. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm a little excited about that. And I'll keep people posted on my experiences with that when... Well, I can't I wait for you to get it. I, I think that's going to be pretty neat. Uh, the first one on the block to get uh, 4K will be pretty neat. Uh, uh, so I guess the biggest challenge is getting this Odyssey 7Q because it's on back order, but the right. actual firmware is available now. Is that correct? Yeah, the firmware is available now. So I think I'm going to go ahead and, because and, I need to drop that off at Sony, mm -hmm. get that upgraded in about a week. And then I'll be ready for my 7Q whenever it arrives, it arrives months later. Mm -hmm. right. I'll have this, <laughs> this raw recorder, just raw camcorder just sitting there <laughs> collecting with nowhere, dust. With nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. <laughs> well, that, that does sound nice. Yeah. I, th I think yeah. that, uh, well, you know, what's what's really great is that you can you, you can take something that you haven't really been using frequently and uh, now this you know who knows how how well this will turn out it might become your primary rig again i think it will for some gigs it's it's nice to to breathe new life into something that maybe was starting to age right so yeah and for not that much i mean i'm getting a four essentially a 4k camcorder for four thousand dollars yeah oh, so. i mean with, with a little tune up here and there it's it's going to be like you know something absolutely amazing yeah i yeah. think so that's great well yeah. hey congratulations on that that's fantastic thanks yeah good stuff good stuff good stuff all right well uh hey uh you know did we take care of that housekeeping or did we forget that i can't remember we forgot okay we can just go over it really quickly l let's let's go for it real quick folks uh remember that you can always catch uh tech move uh on itunes and uh, you can also see what we're doing on our website, which is, of course, techmovepodcast.com. And uh, most importantly, you can support the podcast uh, through Amazon. And Keith, how do they do that? Well, all I need to do is go to this URL, which is, <clears throat> if I could say it, right, techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. And there's going to be uh, Cyber Monday and all kinds of post- holiday and pre-holiday sales going on there so there's going to be a lot of great deals so just use that link and we really appreciate it because it supports the podcast we we really do appreciate that and uh it would be great if you could do that for us uh that would be fantastic okay hey we're going to take a quick break and we are going to come back with the technology versus humanity part two discussion and our first ever interview with the one and only jason wingrove uh, from Australia and uh, me and Peter Brady will be back right after <laughs> you get that you get that reference I hope everyone else does but look it up anyway uh, we'll be back with more tech move right after this Hey, you know, Keith, I was having uh, some uh, thought here about us discussing 
a little bit more about the technology versus humanity and some final thoughts that we both have regarding it. I know that you had come up with a couple of things that you wanted to mention before we uh, put this subject to rest. Yeah, there was just, I've been helping um, this other uh, film director for a while. I'm kind of the, his friend that's one of the more technical experts around. And Would you be called the technical advisor on the film? <laughs> I think that's going to be one of my credits, along with some a few other credits. Good. Camera, camera person and and maybe assistant editor or something like that. There nice. might be a few credits. But um, yeah, he really relies on me to to help him out when, when things go wrong. And he's not, he's, he, he's, he's technical enough to operate Final Cut Pro uh, 7, 6 and 7. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not always technical enough to do some of the stuff on the edges. Um, you know, like uh, any, anything that's a little bit weird, like converting frame rates or uh, up, Upresing from one resolution to another, or using uh, uh, one of the, the one of the black arts of Final Cut Pro, which is the Media Manager. <laughs> Do you know what the Media Manager is? N no, and I was gonna say what he doesn't know that. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about, but go on. And you know what's great? That's part of Final Cut Six and Seven. What they're on like Final Cut like. 59 or something like that now, right? So. <laughs> Actually, well, they, they just stopped. They stopped with the series of, of the same version at 7, and then they went to 10. Right. Exactly. And that's where they screwed everything up, and right, everybody that's, hates that's, them. That's the one where you know, we've had yeah. plenty of discussion on that before. Yeah, so. but, but he was actually on 6 for a really long time. Um, because he just didn't want to upgrade to seven, and then he eventually upgraded seven. But and here's a really funny thing about that: it was that you can't even get seven anymore. Right. You can't even get Final Cut seven. So he had to basically. I had to. I had to give him my copy because <laughs> he couldn't find it anywhere. He so couldn't I, find I, his installation discs or anything no. He like couldn't. That? Well, he couldn't. He had. He was at Final Cut six, but he wanted to upgrade to Final Cut seven, but he couldn't upgrade to Final Cut seven because nobody's selling it. <laughs> You, you basically have to, you know, bit torrent it off of the internet or something to get it now. <laughs> if you want it, you have to get it illegally if you want right. to get Final Cut 7. <laughs> so, so, anyway, I had a copy, and so I, and I don't use it, and they don't really even check the serial numbers and stuff anymore. So I, I lent him my, cop, my copy and, and gave him my serial number, and he was able to use it. But, um, and I, I, I only use it in emergency situations of I'm resurrecting an old project now. I never touch touch that software anymore. Right. I can't stand it when I go back to it. It's so slow and buggy. But uh but still there's like corporations are using Final Cut seven. Isn't that amazing? Anyway. Well, I think uh, it's one of those things if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's true. Final Cut seven has this really conservative workflow. Uh, I mean if you want to get it to work well and reliably you just have to do all these things in a really conservative way. Like you have to convert everything to ProRes first. Right. It's a whole conversion thing first, right? Yeah. You have to get it into ProRes so that the computer can, and the program has enough, has enough bandwidth to, to actually operate with it. Because if it has to do any kind of conversion on the fly, it just starts choking and, and just crashes. Not like Premiere Pro, which actually can read native files. And that's why I like it so much. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, you could just, uh, uh, upload your 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 camera footage and start going to town yeah. just import it into into Premiere Pro it doesn't make an extra copy or anything it just right. it just you start using it nice but but anyway but other than that 
Premiere Pro is a lot like Final Cut 7, and that's why I keep recommending to anybody who's stuck in the Final Cut 7, which is like five or six-year-old software at least. Mm-hmm. It's actually more older. It's probably more like seven or eight-year-old because it's really just a, just a slightly updated version of Final Cut 6, which I think came out like eight years ago. And that's amazing. You know, it's a 32-bit program, so it can't even use that much memory, and, and it's just really this obsolete software. But so many people still use it. Yeah. But but anyway, um, one of the main things in in that's used a lot in Final Cut is this concept called Media Manager, this feature called Media Manager, and it has to do with essentially you have this Final Cut project, and it's 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 you've you've imported clips from all these different places, could be multiple hard drives, whatever, and and what it does is it consolidates all the clips. And it actually copies them over to another area that you designate, along with a version of that project that points to all those new clips in that new location. Hmm. And yeah, and then that way you can actually share that project and give that whole, essentially, you could give like a hard drive that has this set of files on it to somebody else, and then they could start working on your project. So that's, it's called Media Manager, and there's just a certain kind of voodoo that you conjure to make it work and (laughs) but but you know that actually sounds like that could be very helpful to 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 a lot of editors and stuff it's oh it's super helpful and it's super important in a lot of cases and there's there's kind of an an analogous operation to that in almost any kind of application like there's something in indesign where you collect all your files and fonts and everything you put into a package and you give it to the printer you know and then they have it so that they can have exactly what you have but you, they're not using your hard drive they're using some set of files you gave them and it's pointing to so it's 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 actually a concept that's used in lots of different um applications not just video software right but yeah and premiere pro has a version of it and in fact premiere pros is actually pretty bad <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> i haven't well on i can't say the cc version is good or bad because i haven't used it but up until cc it was pretty darn bad so um, not even as good as Final Cut 7, which is like eight years old. So I don't know if they've improved it now. So I'll hold judgment on that until I actually have to use it yeah. for, for something. Anyway, so he was just having a really hard time just setting things up so that it would copy over properly. And and at this point, his project's getting really big. And Final Cut has this issue because it's only a 32-bit application. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really, it's very much on the edge when it comes to memory all the time. It can only use basically two gigabytes of memory. Oh, wow. And, you know, now I'm like at 32 gigabytes of memory. And, and when I run Premiere Pro, it's using like 20 gigs of memory. So you see the difference. It, when you have more memory, you can just do a lot more at once. Oh, sure. I mean, it, 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 it just increases your productivity so much more if you can really take advantage of all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And so what happens with Final Cut Pro is that once it starts getting on the edge, like if your project file is too large... Like if your project file is over 100 megabytes, it's just getting really slow and then starts crashing or says, sorry, I can't do that. And it gives you really obscure errors. Sorry, can't out of memory error or sorry, general error. <laughs> you don't even know what happened. <laughs> it's just like, I, I can't do this. I, I really can't. And I can't explain it. <laughs> I just can't. Right. Stop asking me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just this mystery. So I've... um so he's not that technical. So when he runs into a problem, he'll call me and say, what do I, I can't, I ran into this problem. What do I do, Keith? And I said, well, why don't we do the chicken voodoo dance? <laughs> <laughs> and, nice. and it's, and it's actually, I stole that from somebody else. Um, another 
kind of internet personality right named Merlin Merlin man I think is his name he's a really famous kind of like computer guy mm-hmm. but uh, but it's kind of the same concept well you just kind of go through these series of steps that you don't know if they're actually doing anything but the empirical evidence is that if you do these bunch of steps, it usually works better right. after you've done them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so in the past, it was like you'd call up Apple Tech Support and they'd say, "Have you repaired permissions?" No. Well, go ahead, repair permissions. Have you, <laughs> you know, like not knowing even what the problem was right. at all. You don't even have to open your mouth and explain it. You know. Um, so there's just these series of steps that we we call the chicken voodoo dance, and so. The first thing I ask him is, did you run the chicken voodoo dance? And he says, no. And I said, okay, run it and then call me back. So, <laughs> so run, and I'll explain actually what that is and it might be useful to people. So, so the chicken voodoo dance is, well, there's kind of steps with it. So with Final Cut 7 or 6, it's so unstable that because it gets so close to running out of memory all the time, you just have to restart the program. And, the, and by restarting it, you quit it and then restart it. By restarting it, it can clear out stuff. Okay. And then maybe work maybe work better. Right. So instead of holding all these different things that it really doesn't need to pay attention to, but you've been using it for a certain amount of time, instead of holding all that stuff in its little brain, you clear its brain. <laughs> that, that, that's like in just regular computing period. I mean, like things get slow, shut it off. Yep. Uh, restart again. <laughs> yep. Mm. Kind of the same concept. Yeah. And, and uh, so that's the first step. And then if that doesn't work, then there's another little more complicated step. So there's this application that I, I like a lot. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called Cocktail. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly. And you've used that app? Uh, I have not I've not needed to, but but I know it's out there. Yeah, it's actually, I think it's free. Some versions are free. And actually, That's I why I know for, about it. <laughs> you can download it for free and use it. And I'm not, honestly, I'm not really sure, like what the really difference is between the paid and free version. I think the paid version is just for the suckers that paid for it. <laughs> Cause I paid for it. I don't notice any difference. <laughs> it's Very like, good. I was, I think I read something like you get all this stuff and I opened it. And it's no different. <laughs> so anyway, so I think that's just to be called the sucker version. Right. But, right, right. but anyway, if you want to pay for it and be a nice guy and support this person that created this great piece of software, it's, it's really just this kind of wrapper around a lot of utilities that you could, you could do if you were a geek and wanted to use the terminal program on the Mac uh, doing Unix commands and things. But it, makes an, it puts those in this kind of nice GUI graphical user interface sure you and yeah because a lot of that stuff is just so ugly without a gui it's ugly and it's it's easy to make a mistake oh yeah like erase your hard drive and then then where are you (laughs) so this makes it hard to do that you probably could still do it but (laughs) you really wanted to but um so it's got a few things it's got a bunch of different things like maintaining the spotlight profile and this is not part of the final cut pro uh seven chicken voodoo dance but Mm -hmm. there's other things that i think are so, uh, one of the things that that uh, I suggest is to clear the system caches. So right. there's a there's a files uh, option, files tab in, in Cocktail, and there's a and then inside that there's another tab called the caches tab. And so I just clear the system and the user caches. And I I have a feeling I don't know this for sure, but I have a feeling that Final Cut and the Pro apps use those caches. And when the app gets kind of overloaded, it starts messing them up. Mm. And and they get corrupted. So just clear those caches, and that seems to help. 
I also would do that when I had problems with Premiere Pro as well. So that seemed to be a good one even for, for Premiere Pro as well as Final Cut Pro. Just uh, clearing cache. Yeah, clearing the system and the user caches. Mm -hmm. Not not the internet cache, because that has all your bookmarks and things like that. So I wouldn't yeah. do that. Uh, and all the little JPEGs and things that fill in pages when, when you visit them more, more than once rather than reloading them from the internet. Right. So, uh, so that's one thing I do. Actually, I do that. That's the second thing I do. That's the thing I do before I reboot. But the first thing I, I would do is to use this another free great app by this company called Digital Rebellion. And they've, they've made a, quite a few, um, a couple of free apps. And the free app that they make that is pretty useful is called Preference Manager. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Oh, speaking of uh, speaking of the devil, the guy that I was just talking about is actually calling me <laughs> on my on my iPhone. <laughs> His name's coming up. <laughs> Tell him we're talking bad about him. <laughs> Not bad, just just. Uh, I will. In, okay, <laughs> in, informational. <laughs> Poor guy. No, he's but, he's okay. Believe you me, he knows a lot more than I do. So that's <laughs> that, that, that's that's fine. He he's just fine. I believe the Digital Rebellion distributes this app free, so you should definitely, if you use Final Cut 7, um, I think you can download, download this app for free. And I think it actually works on, on Premiere Pro, because occasionally Premiere Pro will get a, a, preference a preference file corruption. Well, let me, let me read you what their heading says. It says, Preference Manager allows you to manage preference files for Final Cut Studio, Final Cut Express, Final Cut Pro 10, uh, Avid Media Composer, Avid Symphony, Adobe Creative Suite, and Creative Cloud, and Pro Tools for Mac. So it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Mm. And and what it's what's kind of cool is that it will back up your preferences file. Okay, so one of the things you 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 want to do when you have these problems is you want to trash and erase your preferences file. Uh, Sometimes I think especially with Final Cut Seven, Six, and Seven. It, it will somehow, like when it's going to get the crashes, it'll corrupt that file. And then from then on, it'll just make Final Cut really even more flaky than it was before, mm -hmm. if that's possible. Mm -hmm. So so you have to, if you delete the preferences file, then it kind of restores it to its, it's kind of like rebooting it. Mm -hmm. But the preferences file is something that's on disk that even if you re restarted Final Cut, it would still read that corrupted file. Yeah. Um, so it's a way to delete that corrupted file so it's just kind of fresh. So then when it when it boots, not only is it rebooting its memory, but the files that it accesses that might affect it uh, are also kind of refreshed. Um, the thing that's kind of cool is that you can back that back your preferences up first using Preferences Manager. Yeah, and, it, look, it looks like you can do that, yeah. Yeah, and then so what I do, what I would do is I would back it up with today's date and my name so that I could refer to it later and then and then I would trash the preferences using the preferences manager you can do that too you don't have to go into the finder or, or wherever oh, and you delete. can you can do it all from the preference manager yeah that makes and that makes it pretty cool because oh, you yeah. don't have to drill down and find that file and sure. delete it sure. and 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 it does that directly and then and then once you've restarted your computer after you've done this then you do the cocktail uh deleting of the caches and then you can restart your computer and that'll clear out all the memory and everything from the computer and then you go back to Preferences Manager and you restore that backup of the prefs that you made. Because there's stuff in there that you don't want to necessarily delete. There's a lot of settings in Final Cut that you might want to preserve mm -hmm. and not have to re reset them again. So you can restore it back. But what it does is when you back it up, it, it actually saves it in a format that is is uncorrupted. And then when you restore it, it's, it restores the uncorrupted version. 
So that that's a way of cleaning it, but not losing the preferences. And then, and then anyway, so you do that and then you relaunch Final Cut 7 and then usually it, well, a lot of times it actually helps. It seems to help like 90% of the time, if not more, unless you have some really, really weird problem with your project. So that's the thing that I tell them. Did you do the chicken voodoo dance? And I, you, so. you know, I got a question with regards sure. to the preference manager. You know, the so, digital, yeah, the digital rebellion preferences right. manager. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and let me let me give them a little plug here. It's uh, digitalrebellion.com, and it's under their uh, products tab that they have there on the website. And the item in that we're talking about is called preference manager. So mm-hmm. it's uh, pretty easy to find. Uh, how often do you run this? Uh, well, if you're having a set a system that's really uh, problematic, you can run it like once per day, if not more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it really just depends how many problems you're having. If you're not having any problems, then you don't run it. Yeah, you only you only run it when you're having problems, or if you want to somehow back up your preferences in case you think that you, something bad's going to happen in the future, just as a little backup. Yeah, um, or you can you know use it to. Like say you may have one set of preferences for one type of project, and then another set of preferences for a different type of project. That's possible. Uh, you could back those up and name the preferences that you've saved as different with different qualities. You know, like DV tape preferences or HDV tape preferences or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you might be. I, I don't think I've used it for that. I think I've only used it just to fix problems. And, and usually most people will find the problems, it your system just kind of slowing down, not really doing what it did before and all this kind of stuff. Just, just your normal kind of performance lagging issues. Um, it's actually usually worse than that. It's usually things just don't work. Mm, like okay. you'll get these odd errors in Final Cut that don't allow you to really troubleshoot because they're meaningless. So, like, so you think you're going to have to throw away your computer or something like that? You certainly want, yeah, you certainly want to throw it out the window. Right. Okay. When you start seeing these errors. Well, that's good. Um, I'm sure that my friend, his patience has been tested many, many times in and, this and, way. And, and, and so uh, did you, he, he did download the preference manager? Yeah, that was, in fact, we did that a long, long time ago because he's, he's been doing, we've been working together for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was one of the first things we did. And that was free. And then I told him later to get this other, like the full package, because Digital Rebellion, they need to make money. So Preferences Manager is kind of the gateway, the free gateway app mm-hmm. that right. allows them to kind of get you into their camp so that you could buy all the rest of the stuff. Sure. And the rest of the stuff is not expensive. They Like the rest of it is 150 bucks for all these other really great apps, like uh, autosave manager, compressor repair, corrupt, corrupt clip finder, crash. I mean, really, they've really made their whole business around all the all the problems in these these editing programs, <laughs> all these unstable, badly written editing <laughs> programs. Yeah, it, it, it really does look like their whole thing is based upon all the all, all the issues that surround these uh, digital editing uh, uh, programs. Yeah, and and it's kind of cool because there's even like the crash analyzer, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty cool because sometimes Final Cut or even occasionally Premiere Pro will crash, and and it's kind of they don't tell you what's going on. Sometimes they'll bring up this really obscure called Stack Trace screen, which is the Mac OS way of reporting to developers what's happening. But that's usually not very helpful to the normal mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. But the crash analyzer knows what all the numbers mean and, and, and actually can tell you. You're, 
Final Cut crashed last time because of a of a bad clip. And and here's the name of the clip. Yeah. It can actually get that that level, and you you'll actually go to that clip, and you'll find yeah, it is corrupted. It's not even opening. So you find a good version of it and replace it in the project, and then things work. So that that's really helpful, and that's worth 150 bucks if you just have to do that a couple times, instead of having to you know plow through all these issues and just not knowing what's going on. And there's another app called the Corrupt Clip Finder, which kind of does something similar, except it actually goes through your whole project even before the project may crash and will find clips that it thinks are suspect. Like it can't read them. It tries to read them off the disk and if it can't, it, it thinks they're corrupted. Hmm. Or if even if it can read them off the disk, it, it compares it against the standard and if it doesn't meet it, then it thinks it's corrupt. So that those things can cause issues. So I've actually used it several I've used a couple of these things on on my Prime Premiere Pro projects as well. I had a couple of Premiere Pro projects that would not, they would crash every time they came up. And then I did, I looked at the anal analysis and I fixed some things. It trashed the prefs and did a couple other things and replaced some plugins. I had this old plugin that was causing it to crash. And it worked, uh, and, huh? Yeah. And it, and it, and it helped. So anyway. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at more of their products. I, there, there's, there's a funny one here. Uh, and I guess it really could be a problem is, you know, you know, Apple's big thing is, you know, how easy it is to install and uninstall software, but they actually have a FS, a FCS remover. So Final Cut <laughs> Studio remover. Yes. Uh, which actually not only does that, but also does Final Cut Express server and Pro 10. Mm -hmm. Uh and it looks like it just removes everything. Right. <laughs> Unlike, I guess, what we would normally do by dumping it in the trash can. Yeah, it removes all the preferences files, all the support files, yeah. all the little plugins and stuff. And that's actually, sometimes that's a recommended procedure when you really have bad problems. Yeah, you just right. need to remove it all and then reinstall it. Right. But it's a pain to remove it all. Yes, because you know you don't know where, where, where system files are and all this kind of stuff and the yeah. little nooks and crannies that they could be in and... So a tool like this is, I would imagine, very, very helpful. Yeah, it is very, it is very helpful. Anyway, this this whole discussion is um, kind of it's it's the technology versus humanity. Sometimes, yeah. if you're not technical enough, you'll need a tool like this, or you need somebody that's technical to help you get beyond a, a, some problem that is it on your own is insurmountable because you're not technical enough. But if you can educate yourself even just a little bit in some of the techniques to get over that hump so that you can actually be a little more self-sufficient, then the, then knowing the tech stuff actually can help you express yourself by helping you overcome technical problems to achieve your art. Sure, right. And it, I think that's kind of the point. Is I, I, I think, you know, I, I just couldn't help but thinking about like a, a an example of, you know, of your friend who's using Final Cut 6 and, you know, uh, upgrading to Final Cut 7, you know, probably allows even the most simple thing a little bit, a little bit easier. And, and that would be the vote for the technology, right? To, to, to help whatever, you know, what was last year's model, uh, uh, bring it up to date so that you can be a little bit more productive. Right. Yeah. Using a little bit newer software yeah. can, can help solve problems. Mm -hmm. 
it can also it, because it has certain features that maybe they didn't think of the first go around and you know now everyone's so savvy at it so they build it in the whole thing right right one of the reasons to upgrade of course that can also result in more problems <laughs> right of course sure. sometimes upgrading especially and this is something you probably should never do is upgrade your software in the middle of a project like don't upgrade from one version to another right like right one week before the deadline it, it, especially if it's a major <laughs> major upgrade where uh, things are going to look different you're not going to be able to know where where things go and and how to get to things yeah because they change it around and stuff right and don't ever just automatically upgrade your os in the middle of a project even smart, if it's just a point advice. upgrade yeah because so many times things are some somehow they're dependent. Usually it's because software is not that well written, but they're using something that some 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 uh, programming interface that may have been downgraded in between one version and another. But they were not kind of sneaking it in. The programmers were being a little lazy, right? And then Apple or or if you're using Windows, just decides, oh, we're not going to honor that anymore. That that was the deadline. Last last release was the deadline for honoring that. And now we're going right. to use something else. Yeah. And then things stop working, and then they, people have to scramble. So another reason to, to you know, to have cer a certain amount of technical knowledge that allows you to avoid problems. Well, I think it helps too because then you don't have to bother your friends. You know, you you, you can you can uh, you know really get get a grasp of these things and and really you know do it the way you want to in the privacy of your own editing room. And, right. Uh, you know, r rather than relying on, uh, you know, friends or or other experts uh, to do it for you. At least you'll know the capabilities that you have and you can at least attempt to try and, and do it on your own. I think so. I think so. And also, it, it just it just makes you more efficient because when you encounter a problem, you can resolve it yourself and go on. There's not that lag of paying for or asking your friend or... Like my friend just called me, right? Right. But I can't. I can't answer right now because I'm in the middle of something. Right. And so he's going to have to wait at least nine know, hours till after we're done with well, our recordings. After we're done with our epic recordings, which do last at least nine hours per session. <laughs> that's right. That's why we never run out of material, and that's why we can never get it out either. <laughs> I have to sift through nine hours I of know, audio. You poor guy. <laughs> and, and I have to edit out the Hobbit discussion. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so, yeah, it's 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 better to have some independence in this way and some expertise in this way. You're a lot more efficient. You can overcome problems much, much more quickly. You're less of a burden to people, and and you can more quickly achieve your art, which is, I guess, the final point. Right. So. Oh, I, I, oh, I, I totally think so. I think that, you know, if you can, uh, you, you know, it, it's kind of like what we... Uh, in in another segment before you know where you rely on other things to uh to help you make your movie you know like rental gear or yeah. something like that you, okay well you got to wait for the store to open you got to fill out the form you got to you know have it back by by three o'clock in the afternoon yeah. you know all that while trying to be creative uh exactly. it's it's in the back of your mind you're being distracted by it if you know how to run technology that you already have, you can probably get that much uh, uh, more out of what you've got. I think so. Yeah. So I think that's, 
at least the conclusion for now for of of this concept of technology versus humanity. I, I think maybe it, maybe it was an improper title. It was kind of a provocative uh, title to a concept. Well, we like we, we we like the provocative titles because that gains us all of two more listeners. I know uh, it's it's link it's what they call link bait. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's it's awesome. Well, so. no, but it is a good discussion and we'll probably, you know, uh when we run out of other things to say, we'll we'll talk about this again. <laughs> what do you think? I think so. You want to talk about it more? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. We should actually should put this in the coma section. But <laughs> we anyway. should. You know what? I was we haven't done the coma section in a long time because it's just it's it's redundant. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Every segment's the coma segment now. Right. No, 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 no. Don't sell yourself short, really. Boca is one of those things that you can never get enough of coma. All right. Well, that is technology versus humanity. And uh, we will, um, once we shock ourselves awake from this one, we will uh, come back with more excitement and... Uh, Keith, thanks for that one. You're I, welcome, uh, I, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be right back with more Tech Move. We have a real special surprise for you right now. We are going to have our first ever interview segment and special guest segment. And uh, Keith has the great pleasure of uh, speaking with an extremely talented director, cinematographer. His name is Jason Wingrove, and he joins us all the way from Australia. So let's listen to that segment right now, right here on Tech Move. Hello. Hello, Jason. Hey, man. How are you going? Good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for uh, this interview. I really appreciate your time. No problem. No problem. How do I sound? You sound really good. And I knew you okay. would because you're into podcasting, too. <laughs> Funnily <laughs> enough, I'm using my little... I have, I'm not in my little sort of studio den. I'm using the little uh, secret weapon, little $30 Sennheiser headset thing if you're happy with that then we'll proceed but uh i haven't cleared the path through boxes and crap and camera gear to get to my regular <laughs> podcasting corner <laughs> so if this sounds okay it sounds okay and i don't live in a sound studio so you might have to put up with the occasional cat or courier or uh, <laughs> uh whatever well i live in a in a town called brisbane california and do uh, you now yes wow. Yes. Sometimes that shows up. Yes, if I'm ever putting it into a weather, obviously that's a thousand kilometers away from here. But if I'm ever putting it into an app or a weather app, or you know, punching it in, you go, "What? Brisbane? Where?" Yeah. Apparently, it was the sister city of oh, Brisbane, Australia. But I think five years ago they they severed their ties. I'm not sure what the disagreement I think was. That's a wise idea <laughs> on your behalf. But uh, but the the thing about Brisbane is actually pretty close to the San Francisco airport's path. 
so we have a lot of jets flying over. So oh, that's good. I have I have that going on all the time too. <laughs> it's not far to drive to the airport then, at least. No, that that part's good. It's great for a trip. And actually, I'm going to Mexico tomorrow, the tomorrow morning. So that's very convenient. <laughs> so so you're you're actually in Australia right now. I'm in Sydney. Yes. Oh wow! And that's your home base. Yes. But I know that you travel all over the place. I do travel a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm probably spend, I don't know, it's not not an awful lot of time compared to a lot of people, but uh, probably a third of the year I'm out and about or wherever, be it interstate or, or overseas, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's that's part of the business, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I think when you live on an island, you know. <laughs> you have to travel. There's only, <laughs> there's only so much you can do in, in, in hometown, and if you want to expand your boundaries, there's always, there's really only so many other, you know, options other than, yeah, get got to get on a plane. Yeah. So this uh, interview is open-ended. So I want it to be about you and I want it to be whatever you would like to talk about, whatever's on your mind. I mean, there's a certain... Oh my God. Whatever's on my mind. I thought you had a plan. I do have... I don't have one. I do have a plan. I do have a plan, but I don't want it to just be me directing it. I'd like it to be... You know, think, but I, I have a, I have an idea of what you like to talk about, and one of the reasons I'm that I'm sure I run with it. I don't. I'm not a really big fan of talking about myself too much. Really? Okay. Get, it gets directed that way from on the other podcast, and sort of I've done a few podcasts where I sort of talk about how I got started and all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know. I haven't done a ton of research on you. I've just heard you on your on your RC podcast, mm-hmm. and 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 through the RC podcast, I've. I've gotten to watch a lot of the stuff that you put on Vimeo. I'm sure there's a lot more that's not there that that you right. produced. Um, right, I, right. And I've actually been refreshing my my memory of your of your films there. I I, I watched a few of them in the last oh, day or so. So well, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a lot that doesn't get put on there necessarily because it's stuff that's you know just for corporate or it's just you know it just goes to air or it's crap. You know, and I don't, I don't want to make anything of it. It's just something that pays the bills. Yeah. You know? So I don't necessarily, you know, pimp or plug or mention everything that I do. Right. Um, and there's only kinda... so much time to to pimp or plug it, right? You've got to actually work. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I don't. I, I yeah, and I, and I don't open and and I only, especially on the podcast, I won't pimp it when it's unless it's something that I think that's of interest to the audience. Otherwise, it'll just be a job I mentioned in passing and won't even get into specifics. I won't mention it at all because, uh, yeah, most of it, you know, as you know, most most jobs really aren't worth a lot. A lot's not what you were talking about. <laughs> Some is, but a lot isn't, you know. <laughs> okay, why don't you give me the short one-minute version of how you got to where you are? Okay, well, I went, I did film school here in Sydney and uh, uh, I think that was like a one year it was a four year course where you had to do one year full time and then they gave you like a gap year where you had to go out into the world and, and, and experience it and then come back for a couple of years part time and in that first year um, uh, out in the wilderness I'd, uh, my folks were in, in the film industry at that stage and working on features and, and TV and drama and stuff. So I sort of hung around on set and met a camera assistant there and, and basically um, worked for him uh, for a long time, a little bit of an apprenticeship, I guess, in the camera department. And that's where I stayed for about 10, 12 years as a, working my way up as a focus puller and an operator. And, and, and that's a really kind of stressful 
I mean, it was a good. It was a great. It was a great education. It was a great learning curve because uh, you, once you sort of get to that point in your job where you're not consciously thinking about the job and everything becomes subconscious as much as is possible with focus pulling because it'll do your head in eventually will kill you stone <laughs> dead. But as much as you can become, when it becomes subconscious, you start to watch and concentrate and look around you and, and you know observe. So you know, ten, twelve years of observing and sort of. Didn't really want to. Um, I don't know. Never really that that really attached to the, the idea of being a cinematographer per se, and really just like the idea of 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 being uh, the boss of that guy. So <laughs> I think I wanted to be a director. Really, I think it's just an ego thing. And uh, yeah, so I just leapt from focus puller to um, director. But I did it basically. There was a weird little competition they had here in Sydney, only for a couple of years, I think, or maybe even just one year, where a rental company and Kodak and uh, a lab and a sound studio got together and basically donated film stock and camera rental and uh, post-production and sound mixing and processing and everything. Um, uh, so, yeah, I was just submitted a script and basically did a short film um, which won the competition that it was entered into and then that basically became my directing reel was uh, this short four-minute film that uh, and that was it I didn't have anything else on it and uh, the the company that I did a lot of camera assisting for or I spent a lot of time as crew for said oh we'll take you on as a director so I think I was a little tiny little side project and and that was uh, I don't know that's probably 15 years ago something like that I don't know a fair while ago so uh, yeah just basically started off with a little short film and Slowly did basically just done commercials and some second unit and and mainly mainly commercials and now in the last two three years, as advertising and everything has evolved, it's changed to a bit more longer form. Not so much stuff for broadcast. Not so much thirty seconds. More long form. More more. Um, I guess you'd call it documercial or uh, high end higher end sort of corporate stuff. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of changing, but yeah, that's pretty much how I got my. That's the long answer. <laughs> that's a that's Sorry. a great. No, that's Off that's good. I, I I like that. Um, and this is not going to be edited at all. So no, actually, <laughs> actually, I do a lot of you editing for. I do a lot of editing for the podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to figure out how to get out of doing all this editing because it's pretty time consuming. It, it sure is, isn't it? I, I feel your pain on that one. I'm starting, yeah, the trick is to um, get better or either get better at what you say or care less. Or both, uh, maybe. less of a shit <laughs> about, what, about making mistakes and then the editing becomes easier. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And most people overlook most things, I think. But, uh, okay, so focus puller. So, just for the people out there that you maybe have heard that term but don't know exactly what's involved with that. What's involved yeah. with that? Well, I guess you are the, what's often called the first AC or first assistant cameraman. Mm -hmm. and so you are the first line of defense straight after you are essentially the first assistant for the cinematographer. It's your, your job to, uh, well, I guess it would start at prep by building the camera at the rental company or so just making it work, sure it works, getting all the accessories you need, getting it prepped. And then on the day, you are responsible for building the camera, changing lenses, keeping it sharp, uh, keeping the cameraman happy, putting, you know, filtration, 
everything to do with the camera and lenses, basically from the ground up, changing you know tripods, uh, you name it. Uh, the the most uh, the trickiest part and the one that will eventually do you in and make you go insane will be the the, the focus pulling part, <laughs> which is this. A little bit easier in the digital uh, digital realm, but in the film game, when you know all your monitoring on set was standard def, if you are lucky, off you know off CRT monitors, um, and the video split was basically a um, security camera pointing through a piece of glass, through a prism, through another piece of glass, through a spinning mirror. So you're only seeing it 50% of the time. So it was flickering and it was standard def and it was uh, I mean, you never pulled focus off the monitor. Now, you know, I see everybody just literally will do it a, a thousand feet away from the camera, pulling focus off a high def or 4K monitor uh, wirelessly, and everything's wireless, and you don't even, you know, and if it's sharp or it's soft, you know about it right then and there. Um, but in the film game, there was always this whole thing of you spent your entire time in this kind of ethereal nether region of sort of never really knowing was it sharp, wasn't it? Sometimes, particularly if you're doing you know, slow motion work where the camera is vibrating so much, the operator doesn't know. You know, you sometimes you spend your entire time uh, guessing. Basically, you're in this entire world, 10, 12 years, guessing your way through, <laughs> never knowing. And, and being, it's yeah. sharp, isn't it? Until, you know, the inevitability of rushes when you find out whether you uh, get the next gig or um, thanks, but don't come Monday. So it was... <laughs> It's hard work, and I really appreciate guys that can do it and just nail it and nail it, you know, with like A-listers who never hit their marks. And uh, I just find it uh, utterly uh, a full respect for for camera assistants having been there now and and know what it's like. And I'm fully jealous of all the tools and gear they get now that uh, I never had at uh, back in the old days. <laughs> well, I guess at some point there's going to even be this automated focusing now right where you can just touch touch where you want it focused and it tracks automatically oh, for you yeah look i think i think most people who who are anything other than maybe one up from wedding stuff and even the wedding guys probably no one really i think the autofocus is or or semi-automated focus sorry got a lot of birds there <laughs> that's okay my bird can uh, birds outside can see my cat by the window and giving it, giving it hell. Uh, I think the autofocus thing is uh, really is still the realms of amateur. It hasn't really anything something anything where something like that is is is. I think it's a creative focus is a creative choice, and it's something that you need to feel and watch and monitor, and it where it can't go wrong. Uh, I think it needs to be manual, and I think the autofocus thing is—it's great. Is there as a tool as an absolute emergency? And there's certainly some people, maybe reality TV guys, just turn it on and leave it on, where they sort of, you know, they have small sensors and it doesn't really matter. You know, they're not—they're not—they're not doing shallow stuff. But, but I think the average shallow depth of field, creative shooter, um, um, you know, um, autofocus is not. On their radar, yeah, be a bit of a dirty word, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think there's really going to see that much automation in 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 in, in going forward. It'll you get easier. You don't think Dark it's ever going to happen? Where no, isn't there? 
isn't there um, an attachment or some? And I heard about this a long time ago, but some some type of attachment you can you can put in a red uh, EVF that does allow kind of a touch and tracking type thing, or or is this my imagination? Yeah, I think the I think well, I know a lot of people who use uh, the Epix um, uh, with. You know, plastic, fantastic. Just the hourglass, Canon, Canon, Canon autofocus hourglass, and, uh-huh. and and do definitely make use of not necessarily the focus tracking. I think that was one of another yet another one of Red's um, mythical. Won't oh. this be great? Well, we've got this planned, but we never really, never really reaches its potential. I don't think it's. I don't think the focus tracking. I think there might be. Yeah, I don't think that's really one's really sort of seen the the light, but okay. definitely you can do the touch touch on on the touch screen tracking, a touch touch one touch kind of thing, I guess I suppose like a one shot AF yeah or touch 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 to um touch to focus thing definitely that works really well okay. and a lot of people will use that and it would just be like a final little quick little double check if they're doing run and gun they'll just do a one off focus and then they're, then they're on their own but yeah no, that's true it, it is there and it does work and there is some um, uh, there is a quite a clever tool um, invented by the guy who started movie cam I think it might be called easy focus or I'm trying to remember it but that is a very clever almost like laser kind of LiDAR focus tracking thing, which is quite impressive hmm. uh, if you're doing remote remote work or stuff. But again, I think, you know, if you're at that le- higher level, you've got focus pullers. And <laughs> right. they, they kind of, it's kind of like a bit of a slap in the face to those guys, you know, like uh, I don't think they'd really use it and probably nine times out of ten. If anything's, if it's on set, if it just gets way too complicated, it gets switched off. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like work or get out of my way. So I don't, yeah, I think quirky, interesting tools, but I don't think, I don't think they really, um, you know, I don't think they really have widespread applications, you know. Okay. So we, um, Rodney and I talk a lot about uh, disasters. I talk a lot about my disasters in filmmaking. And uh, they're pretty, they turn out to be pretty funny little episodes. Uh, and I think they're pretty entertaining. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure that you've had a few. Do you want to, mm-hmm. since we're talking about focus pulling or your early days, do you want to talk about any disasters you might have either Gosh. created or been a part of? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I need to, well, I think, in the film days, definitely the disaster was absolutely ripe in terms of, you know, there's so many. I mean, there's obviously there's equally equally um, many opportunities now in digital. It's even probably easier to erase an entire day's work. But uh, <laughs> literally the number of times with film where, you know, you take the lid off a mag and... You go, oh shit! There's film in there. I know that, that sounds like like how does that how is that even possible? But let me tell you, if you do it enough times, if you load enough film, you know it's just law of averages. It's going to happen. Hmm. Um, particularly when you've got like a dark room. Sometimes in a camera truck, you'd have a a dark a dark room. Um, these things are rapidly being removed from camera trucks as we speak, but um, <laughs> they would definitely have a, a, a you know a dark, rather than a changing bag, which you would normally do on location. If you had a, a camera truck, you'd have a change, or if you're in a studio, you'd have a, a dark room, which is a you know a dark room with a lock on the inside and a light switch. And the number of times where you go, you know, get the film, put the new film in, da 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 da, turn on the light switch, and you go, oh shit. <laughs> 
There's film sitting there uh, out of its can. Uh, luckily for me, that never uh, was the... Um, it was usually only um, the unused kind. Okay. I think there was one time, I think there was one time where I turned it on and then immediately turned it off, uh, turned the light off uh, within, you know, a second or so. And I mm-hmm. think because the film is in a roll and it's so tightly wound, the light only just goes very, very slightly through the edge. You, you basically get something called edge fogging mm-hmm. where you just, I mean, sometimes you, you see it now, you know, the funky effects reels or, you know, you know, all those, all those uh, alpha Filters you can get for for for, for editing mm-hmm. basically, where you just get the little little tiny bit of edge fogging and just I think that one time it just like was a five percent blow up or I think it was it was never really an issue, but um yeah the film days man that was that was that was ripe for scratching and uh, fogging and uh, you know rushes being just left places I've left I've left rushes. Um, by a gate and then got on a plane and uh, literally realised as the plane's in pushback and had to... Nowadays, I would have been shot through the head by an air marshal. (laughs) But uh, back then, uh, I sprinted to the... uh, Literally, the plane's taxiing back, plane full of people in seatbelts, and uh, I sprinted to the front of the plane and said, you need to push this plane back to the gate. I need to get some film. I left it by... Again, this would never happen again because I left it by a payphone. Um, <laughs> uh, and yep, they pushed the plane back, and I got off and went and got the plane, got the film, and it was still there by the payphone. And uh, then I had to do the walk of shame past the uh, clients and agencies who were all at the front of the plane. And I had to do the walk of shame, carrying their film past all the brass. Uh, to sit down in my seat and hang my head low for the rest of the flight, and uh, that was pretty embarrassing. And that was like you know like a a a, a list mm. uh, commercial with a you know international celebrity star kind of we cannot shoot this again kind of thing. He's he's jetted off on his Learjet, and there's no um, you know there's no chance for a take two. So it was definitely yeah. <laughs> so that's that that was sort of that. I um. There's probably a few others, but I, I, I'm, I will probably be um, incriminating if I. If I, <laughs> I was thinking if I about that. I was thinking you might not want to talk too much about that. That would look good on your resume. No, luckily, <laughs> some of them are they're in the past. Yeah, <laughs> and those and those involved. You know, you know what it's like. A lot of that time, a lot of the time, you're the only person that noticed it. Right. You know? Right. You know, everyone said, "Oh my God, I remember this time on your shoot. I did this," and I said, "What? Really? I don't know. You shouldn't have told me because I never noticed that." <laughs> You know, so yeah. Okay, so that's that's a great story. Um, so uh, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on the focus thing again because nowadays we have these uh, you know five Ds with the uh, the Zakudo Z finders like that's what I started in the in the when the digital yeah. SLR ver, uh, revolution came yeah. out. That's the first thing I got was to pop one of those in the back of my LCD. Yeah, the, the crappy LCD that's on the five D and all the other Canon cameras. And yeah. uh, so I feel I feel a little bit like I have experienced a little bit of that. Am I really in focus? <laughs> Feeling that you feel fell yeah. for ten years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do you deal with that now? Look, you know, I've got so much gear and bits and pieces. My job, I sort of the gig to gig is very different. You know, mm-hmm. for me, one time it can be multicam 
epics and you know full on um uh you know, full on PL glass and focus pullers and big video village and uh, and then the next time it can literally be climbing up scaffolding in a, on a, on an oil rig, uh, literally with a crew of two. So I my gear thus changes, you know, from 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 job to job. Literally, I think the last job I did, I had the when I went back in time. I thought this is literally I'm going. I only really want to be minimal. I'm going to be shimmying through these power stations up gantries and all this sort of stuff. And I said I want to be just. And I knew I didn't have agency. I knew I didn't have any client with me. It was literally just me, and a producer and assistant. And um, so I had the Canon 1DC with a Z Finder right on the back of it, mm-hmm. and it was okay. It was I got through it and. You know, you zoom in to check the focus beforehand, and uh, the One DC has this thing where you can kind of, if you're shooting in Canon log, you can actually apply like a little bit of a LUT. You can apply a little bit of a filter to it and say, even though I'm shooting quite flat imagery going to the card to make it more watchable, you can actually turn up the contrast, turn up the color, turn up the sharpness and everything. So if you wind all those things up, and with a Z finder and with you know pre 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 zooming in to check, um, yeah, I got away with it. It wasn't too bad. I don't think there was anything I really lost because of focus. You just uh, kind of get used. You get used to double checking it and triple checking it. Um, but it made such a difference to be just have literally a little gunstock shooter, no big shoulder rig, little gunstock thing, um, and a Z finder and a camera, and that was and that was it. And it was very freeing. Um, but a lot of the time I have, um, uh, if I'm shooting with the Epic, the focus kind of peaking on that little 5-inch LCD or the focus peaking on the on the EVF is outstanding, is fantastic. I have no problem picking focus for that. Um, and if I'm shooting DSLRs, I'll probably have the DP6, small HD DP6. Mm-hmm. And the focus tools for DP6, for small HD stuff is fantastic. There's just... Second to none, I think, and even the new DP7s, the focus, the focus controls, and the focus assist, and the so many focus tools now to get it sharp and keep it sharp. It's just you know spoiled for choice, really. So yeah, look, I don't have any one big solution. It just really the the, the gear arsenal, luckily, um, and I guess keeps keeps it fresh and it keeps changing from gig to gig. Yeah, speaking of the DP6, I actually just got a, um, a notice that they updated the software on that. I actually have a DP6 as well. Yes, yes. Did you get the beta firmware or you've got the actual firmware? Um, I, you know, I, I'm kind of loath to upgrade my firmware too often, so I'm probably mm. pretty far behind. So I yeah. just got the notice for the, I guess, the real, uh, the final version of the, the firmware. But right. have you tried it out? Uh, they've sent me the beta firmware, which I haven't tried yet but okay. uh, to be honest that thing i'm reluctant again reluctant to to, to fiddle with it because i'm uh, i'm sure they've improved it but you know i gotta say the dp6 is like the uh, i mean they've got a lot of better monitors and they've got some that aren't so good but i think the dp6 for a small light just works trust it with my life kind of imagery is like a super gold standard thing that I'm reluctant to to tinker with you know because I just know it and it's uh, I just what I see is what I get I'm so used to um, it being 
completely accurate that uh, <laughs> hesitant to 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 really change that too much. I, I uh, yeah, I, I I I'm ashamed to say they sent me the beta firmware a couple of weeks ago to uh-huh. test, and I didn't put it on, and I didn't uh, get back to them. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. It's like if something Guilt. works, if something's not broken, don't yeah. fix it. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it's great that those guys are updating stuff like that, which the DP6, which they don't even make anymore. Right. Um, so, yeah, good on them. I've sort of been pushing them to at least get it, which they are working on, to get a replacement or a solution for that sort of size because um, the larger, you know, the DP7s and stuff are, uh, and the AC7s are, you know, bigger. They are bigger and bulkier and it does make a difference on board. Um, yeah. But uh, they are evolving. I also have a Zacudo EVF. Right. Have you used those? Yes. And what do you think of those? <laughs> uh, or well, are, we gonna, are we going to ruin our sponsorship for Zacudo, <laughs> if you answer? Do you have a Zacudo sponsor? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> uh, look, I love the Zacudo guys. I have a lot of their bits and pieces. Um, the EVF is not one of them. Okay. Um, I tried one of them out, and I, I just I found for me, just for my rigs, ergonomically it wasn't right. Just where all the cables and plugs were, I'm sure the guys themselves would admit that you know maybe they could be better placed. Uh, I always found that the in- inputs and outputs were always in the wrong spot for rigging for me. Yeah, and they always um, kind of interfere th- when you're moving it around. They stick out the wrong yeah, way. Yeah. I find there's also maybe a little bit of latency with that monitor, which I didn't get with anything else. Um, I got no problem with focusing, and it's 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 got a lot of things I like. But um, uh, I'm ready for the next uh, the next chapter of EVFs. I don't know where that's coming from, and I hope it's coming soon because we do need some better resolution EVFs. Uh, everything that we've got really is there's no real 1080p solutions. Everything is sort of 720ish. Even the even the red um, bomb bomb EVF, which is like a three four thousand three thousand dollar. Uh, effort and is beautiful is uh, only I think 720p um, so I, I think and it's quite small and the image is quite small so I think I'm definitely and obviously only works with the Epic so I think for other cameras we definitely need um, I'm just waiting for the next whatever the next phase is going to be of EVFs because for me I, I haven't really I don't think there's a really great I don't think anyone's really got a great solution out there the um Oh, I'm trying to think one of them. One of them's not bad, but uh yeah, to be honest, they're all sort of they're all sort of okay solutions. Nothing's nothing's really blown me away yet, really. They're all sort of clunky and hard to rig and fiddly and you know, there's always a there's always a bit of a gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. So one of the things that I just recently got, which I which I've been looking for for a long time, was this Sakudo arm that's meant for an EVF. And um, Right. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Actually, there's a really good. Um, uh, let me just. I'll try and find it while I'm while I'm here. Someone's just. I think it might be Nino Leitner. Um, sorry if I've mispronounced your name there, Nino. But he's just done. A, someone's just done a roundup of EVF mounts. Uh huh. And uh, yes, yeah, so I had a bit of a play with that at NAB. Um, not bad. I think for me, I like a smaller, simpler, compact thing. The thing I use most at the moment for EVF mounting is the uh, wooden camera. Uh, the wooden camera solution, I think, is really nice and neat and small and compact and suits the smaller EVFs and smaller m- monitoring that I use. And um, uh, I think the um, uh, that Zacudo one, 
is maybe a little bit big and a bit sort of, you know, because it's in two parts, although that gives you flexibility to put it somewhere, put it wherever you want. It's, uh, I don't know, it feels like it's sort of sticking up in the, you know, it looks like it's always going to stick up in the way wherever I don't want it. So, <laughs> I, I think I, I haven't quite gotten the hang of it yet. It's it it definitely changes the center of balance. It's it's not something that you just carry around and just pop it on your DSLR. It changes the DSLR or changes the FS or whatever you're using. Yeah, a lot. Um, yeah, but I like the fact that it has this kind of variable tension to it. The fact that you can move it without having to unlock it and then lock that it back. That is one thing. I mean, that is what. Zakudo do some great stuff and they do some unusual stuff. <laughs> and uh, I think one thing that you can always count on them to do is to make something that, if it's designed to be sort of have a, not a given tension, it'll give it to you. If it's designed to be movable, it'll be movable. And if it's designed to lock, it locks. Their stuff is like locks on like a bastard. You know, if you need some sort of bracket or bolt or something you know, angled, and they've just got a billion little combinations, and so, I, you know, they are really good at that, but also some, sometimes their stuff is a little bit like, what? <laughs> it's, it's, what? it's a little, it, it's a little, um, I wouldn't say crude. Um, I would say it's it's a combination of elegance, but not super elegance. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're beautiful uh, finishing and machining and, yeah, that, uh, and stuff that fits together and something you bought five years ago will fit something you bought tomorrow right. and they're really good at that. But, some, you know, but, um, yeah. Occasionally <laughs> stuff okay, like, well, oh. um, I guess we've written off the <laughs> kudo. Yeah, you've blown that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, since we're talking about gear, let's just keep going. Let's keep going. Sure. So tell okay. me about your gear. Tell me about all okay. your all your little pieces. Tell me about your oh, whole basement man. that's blocking your. If you can, studio. yeah, exactly. <laughs> man, my, my. okay. Well, the camera roundup, and I just this is always a bit embarrassing, but um, <laughs> there's definitely people who have it worse than me. Gear acquisition syndrome, who have gas, bad gas. <laughs> um, I have an Epic X. Okay. Um, I have a Canon One DC, which is a fairly recent acquisition, and I'm getting to like it quite a bit. Even though it has definite issues, and I've given it an absolute reaming on on red on the RC uh, a few times, mm -hmm. I still uh, I still have one, uh, 5D Mark III. I have a Sony NEX6, which is on the way out because any minute the courier is going to knock on my door and drop off the Sony A7R mm -hmm. body, which I'm very very looking forward to. Mm -hmm. Um, and, oh, you know, GoPros and things like that. Um, I have, um, a pretend Movi at the moment, which is 99% <laughs> there and is a complete pain in the ass, but, uh, what, what luckily, is, do you mind telling me about what, like the brand or where you got it? Literally, it is a $1,600 eBay special. Uh -huh. I think it might be called High Fly, but literally it arrives in a box of a box, a badly packed from China box of bits with zero instructions, like <laughs> literally not a piece of paper in the box whatsoever. But luckily, I've been a bit of a hobby road control geek for a while. You know, a while back, I haven't done it for a long time, but I used to fly um, gas. Um, um, RC choppers and oh, okay. stuff. So, so I've I've got the sort of the the hobby brain there, so it it didn't take me too long to to get it together. But man, 
there's a reason that the movie costs what it does because it, they've nailed it and I've played with it extensively and it is a brilliant piece of kit and worth every cent, mm-hmm. particularly if you try and make your own, which will, again, will do your head in. It's, um, uh, it, it's uh, yeah, it's a dark art. It's like alchemy, you know, it, it's all open source software, a lot of it, and uh, not the movie stuff, but it's uh, definitely, um, you know, you've got software from, I don't know, Israel and <laughs> hardware from Russia and, you know, and it's all very underground and it's all very, it feels like the early days of, you know, a computer club or something where people are trying to hack together stuff and make it work and it sounds very desperately, definitely feels like it's um, hacker Hacker lab at the moment. Yeah, it's either movie or you know, uh, a lot of long nights of soldering and uh, and and um, software. You know, PC software um, ha- tinkering. They're very very and and literally where the money is in the movie is that they have distilled that down into. Um, into exactly only the controls you need, software that's easy to use all Bluetooth accessible, you know, just literally every adjustment you need to adjust is adjustable and everything you don't doesn't. It's, uh, yeah, they've really kind of taken something that is um, designed to be strapped under a a quadcopter and they've made it onset friendly as much as is possible. So, yeah. So So I've got that. So i got a question Uh, for you. Yep. Uh, Why did you get the... Do you want me to keep going with the gear roundup? Yes. Or do you want to... I want to just pause here at the movie yep, pseudo okay. movie yep. thing. Why did yeah, you yeah. decide to get spend sixteen hundred dollars on a on a kit as opposed to just getting a movie? <laughs> well, at the time, I mean, literally, uh, I could have you know been like right at the front of the queue and got one. And literally at the time, though, it was fifteen thousand to ten thousand for a movie, and I knew for me it was just going to be a. a, a it, it, that it was never going to be anything that I would want to use day to day. It was never going to be anything that I wanted to rent out myself as an operator. I was never going to. It was always going to be a bit of a one-off thing where I might use it on the odd job. And I think the technology interested me. Um, and uh, so I think it was. I think it was just a little sort of tinkering experiment hobby kind of. Thing. It was exactly what I got. Okay. You know. You, you wanted to have it, fun with it. Was it. something that I wasn't going to use on every job, but I'd sort of, you know, if I got, if, if for 15, you know, for a couple of grand, if I got something that, you know, I might use for the odd job that would work fine enough for me to use, terrific. And if I didn't, well, you know, interesting experiment. Right. So right. that's kind of where I, I got. And I knew at the time at NAB, when everyone was ordering, putting their orders in, I knew enough people from here and from around the world who would put their orders in. So I knew that, look, if I ever needed one for a gig, there's going to be plenty of people, there's going to be plenty of them around. Right, you know? right. So I'd have one for my own off jobs here and there to tinker with for a little personal projects. And I knew for anything more than that where I wanted it to not break down embarrassingly on set, there'd be plenty of movies around <laughs> from other people. It'd be great if you had to bring your your handmade one and bring a soldering iron just in case. <laughs> exactly, this is always the risk. Like you know, don't don't really bring you know don't bring a, a knife to a gunfight, as they say. <laughs> okay, let's go on with your gear. Uh, okay, so um, uh, way too many lenses. Um, just because I love, I think that's it's kind of like 
you know, it's kind of like hi-fi. You spend the money or, or have a bit of a fixation for the speakers versus the amplifier, I think. Uh-huh. Go with the... Go with the um, Lenses, you know, lots of lenses depending on you know the job. Whether you want something quirky and flary, or you want something that's you know precise and 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 correct, and you want something small that's for run and gun, or you want something bigger for the more studio jobs. So I've got uh, three of the uh, the Canon uh, Cinema Primes. I'm okay. still waiting on the 35 mil, which mm-hmm. is soon to be released. I think in about a month um, to complete the set. Um, I've got. I don't really have any Canon, you know, autofocusy lenses anymore. I've got a sort of weird, quirky selection of um, mostly modified by dog shit optics, uh, uh-huh. or or um, Matt Duclos, Duclos lenses, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, a collection of Contax or uh, Leica or um, just weird, quirky Russian things. Um, but yeah, sort of a selection of um, modded, older stills glass. Because mm-hmm. uh, mainly I use uh, Canon mount, mm-hmm. on, obviously on the DSLRs, but also the Canon mount generally stays on my Epic all the time and I'll just use um selection of, of, of either the, the Canon Cine Primes or the weird little sort of, um, you know, modded little um, contacts primes or Leica, Leica R primes, but mainly mainly stuff that's been cine, older, manual, cinevised, uh, or cinemodded um, stills lenses. And by cinemodded, you mean there's gear gears put on the lenses they will, for follow focus. The, if it has an iris, they will de-click it. They mm-hmm. will take the clicks out of the iris. Mm-hmm. Um, put a eighty millimeter front. Uh, uh, adapter on the front for you to clamp on a map box or or clamp on a filter adapter, uh, and yes, put a focus gear on there because generally, even if I don't have a focus puller with me, I will generally use a little follow focus on whatever it is, just because it's I'm just used to it and it's just a nicer it's just a nicer way to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, you, you mentioned yeah. that you don't have any more EOS glass, uh, Canon EOS glass. No, I think I have the fifty one point eight. I think I have like almost the cheapest sort of lens they make. Oh, and this, that's okay. Just, yeah, but, that's about it. I don't have. I did start off with some of them. I started off when, with the beginning of the five D revolution thing with the fifty one two and the eighty five one point two, and yeah, and absolutely loved them, and they had some interesting character and they're beautiful, but I just um, started to find that they weren't lasting. and I wasn't mistreating these things, but I'd often get to the other end of a flight and they wouldn't work or the focus would be jammed. or mm. I just find that they're okay for stills use where they get put back in a little padded bag and get sort of babied a bit, which is not something that you would expect from something that is so... Uh, you know, there's just a, theoretically a professional lens, but I just essentially they're a plastic. Even you know, for two and a half, three and a half thousand dollar lens, like mm-hmm. some of those, mm-hmm. some of those fast Canon primes are, they're still primarily plastic. A lot of plastic in them, and uh, I just find, again, not that I was mistreating things, but they just didn't last, and I just couldn't rely on them. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a couple of times where I was away, you know, wherever I was in the middle of nowhere. And pulled out an 85 or whatever it be, and it just it was locked up or it wouldn't focus or whatever. And um, there's a lot of tiny little servo 
little tiny little 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 um, gears in those lenses. Uh, literally, if you open up a, a metal prime cinema lens, or even just a an old classic stills lens, um, it's very little in them. But these these you know, if you're talking about a ultrasonic motored um, plastic uh, modern AF lens, there's a lot of tiny little gears and um, uh, and motors in there that uh, are very easily damaged. And if you're not using the autofocus bit all the time, which I wasn't, uh, then there's a lot of sort of wasted tech in there. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I don't have, I really don't have any of that sort of stuff anymore. I do miss, I miss the, uh, the character and stuff, which is kind of what I've got back into a little bit with the getting the, this Canon Cinema Primes is because they're based on, even though the coatings might be slightly different, they're all based on those those lovely stores lenses, and they're not that much more expensive than, even though it's all expensive, <laughs> but um, <laughs> then they're they're not outrageously more expensive. They're bigger and bulkier, but they are um, they have a lot of the character that I liked in those original hourglass um, lenses. Okay, I'm going to come back to the character question maybe towards the end of the okay, yeah, sure. interview. I noticed you didn't mention any zoom lenses. No, exactly. I'm a um, wide open with the bullet kind of guy. I definitely don't... I don't know. I, I, I'm not... I would prefer to... I mean, that's an, an entire podcast in itself. <laughs> I, to do the zoom versus prime thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely of the school of thought that um, changing lenses is hard, but it's worth it. And obviously there's there's definitely work like reality TV or, you know, blink or you miss it kind of work where you do not have the time to change lenses and reality will not wait around for you to let you do it. Um, but I've found that it's, 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 for my stuff, it's still worth the effort of changing lenses and working slightly wider open and working at 1.4 or 2 instead of 2.8 or 4. Um, and I think the psychology is that for me, I would rather walk with a lens and find the right shot rather than zoom to find it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something there in that, that that you just spend that little bit more time to find the shot rather than um, just zooming in to get it. And that's great for interviews, and definitely, as I say, that there's, there's, there, is, there is definitely a space for that. But for mm-hmm. my, my, my style, my work, I much rather uh, make life that little bit harder for me on set and change lenses a lot. I mean, I don't change lenses a million times. I'll probably change lenses, you know, 10 times, 20 times a day, but it, that's not an awful lot. It's pretty quick, you know, it's pretty quick changes. I've yeah. got variable NDs on the front of all of the lenses, okay. um, or I have a little 80 mil, you know, the filter is is quick release on the front. So I don't really, it's not, it's not a huge time consuming thing. And I just, you know, it's just, I think it's just, uh, it just stuff looks a little bit better, uh, wider open than at two point eight. I think it just, uh, yeah, for me anyway. Okay. Zooms, yeah, I'm not a. I've had them in the past, and I just did never really use them. I just slowly gravitated away, and then I realised why. 
I just kind of could see the difference in the look. You know? uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, I mean, you know, like some of those the longer lens zooms are perfectly, you know, 70 to 200 is completely, you know, once you get down that longer end, it's a bit hard to tell whether you're at 1.4 or 2.8, doesn't really matter. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I just, I'm just not a, not a zoom guy. I'm a 1.4, 1.2-ish kind of guy. So, uh, in in line with those prime lenses uh, that that you've been talking about, I actually have uh, I have I have a, I don't have any of the Canon Cinema primes. I do have a lot, you know a several other primes, but I've also gotten a few of the the uh, Rokinon primes. Oh yeah, have yeah, you heard of those? Yeah. Yes, yeah, I've 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 um, I have one at the moment, and I got rid of one. I have the fourteen, which I think is in, very impressive. Really, you like the fourteen? Think, okay. Uh, I think a lot of people have, you know, some issues with it that it has unusual distortions. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, sometimes those distortions are a little bit hard to pick. If you, I mean, if you were looking at like a brick wall and super studying it, you go, oh yeah, it is a little bit unusual. But you know, in the day to day, I don't use wide lens as much. But that fourteen, it's very clever. You know, it's only a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, it's um, it is you know, it's light and it's largely plastic, but it's very rectilinear in terms of what that means is that it doesn't, it's a wide view, but nothing is sort of really bent or too fisheye-ish. Mm-hmm. Everything's quite correct and it gives you a wide view without giving you a distorted wide view. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, I think I'm really impressed with that little 14. That It was either that or the Canon Cinema. <laughs> There's not many choices in the 14 uh-huh. department, um, really, uh, funnily enough. There's not that many choices in 14 department that cover full frame um, yeah. or Dragon or wherever I'm going to go. You know, I need to sort of make sure I'm I'm sort of covered in that area. I had previously the Takina 11 to 16, yeah. which was great and it's fine, but I found myself, I was always using it as a 14mm anyway because on the full frame cameras or and or hopefully the, the, the Dragon sensor to come on the Epic, uh, I always found that I had to, because it's not designed for full frame, I had to always zoom that lens in right. all the time, and I always ended up around 14 anyway. Right. So uh, I did have the, I think I had the third, I think I had the 24, and I, yeah, I think I still have the 24, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't know, I don't feel, I don't love it much i mean i think what i'm what impresses me though i suppose is that you can get a set of those rocking on are pretty impressive they do quite good glass it's super lightweight it's super cheap they are fast and you can buy an entire set like expanded set 24s 50 85s 35s um for i don't know literally they're, they're only a few hundred dollars each really aren't they um, well, the the twenty fours and the the higher ones, they're they're between four and six, depending on. Mm-hmm. The, but still, yeah. you're talking about less than two thousand dollars for a whole set. Yeah, exactly. For yeah. which is, to be honest, I know that might be seem like a lot of money to some people, but honestly, uh, they are very they're they're very good for 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 the money. I think they're very impressive. Um, I think I haven't seen an awful lot of amazing, wonderful character to them, but I have never owned the fifty or the eighty five, so I'm not really sure. Um, I think that's really the sweet spot, particularly with full full frame, where you really start to 35 and 50 and 85 is sort of three kind of key lenses where you start to get that nice, particularly on a full frame and wider open-ish, 
where you start to get that nice area where you get a bit of drop off and flares that start to do interesting things and you get to start to get that bit of character creeping in mm. really really long lens you wouldn't really be able to tell a lot of the time what lens you're on really really wide stuff mm. you know flares are a little bit harder to do and or they're not as interesting and you don't get any shallow real shallow depth of field so again you know one wide is going to look to my mind apart from distortion one wide can look uh, quite similar to another one mm-hmm. so i haven't owned anything around that 35 or 50 that they make okay but it's um yeah i look i think that's what it's fantastic is literally if someone's saying what should i get as a starter set you'd get you know i don't know get a 6D or a 5D Mark III or something and get that, just get that set and then explore, play with primes and play with wider open and play with, play with depth and uh, you don't have to, you know, you can stop these things down. Mm-hmm. But to have cinevised, a set of cinevised or a cinemodded, you know, with lens gears, you know, for a couple of thousand dollars for a set is, man, we are spoiled. <laughs> yeah, we certainly are. Is that not cool? <laughs> The only other bit of gear that I like is um, because I do a lot more run and gun stuff. I think uh, I'm quite fond of anything wireless in terms of focus and also um, monitoring. I have the Paralynx wireless video stuff on the camera. I like to because I'm moving around a lot of the time. I don't you know like to have cables and um, mm-hmm. uh, so I think um, I quite like. Yeah, those is or 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 the um, um, Teradek uh, Bolt. Uh, it's pretty much a similar technology, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm a big fan of that stuff on the camera to then free up me to move around and uh, cable free and just to 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 ch- you know change my mind and get the right spot. And as I say, if I'm working more in primes and not so much zooming. I want to move the camera a fair bit, so I don't. Uh, yeah, I love, I love working wireless. So I never really go anywhere without having. If I've got Video Village, and if I've got sort of clients and agency who are always watching, I'll definitely use that, take that gear with me, and I've got um, a nice handheld setup there with a, um, a small HD uh, DP7 with the with the um, uh, Paralynx receiver on the back of it that's really nice and portable and uh, can just give that to the agency and say keep up with me and uh, <laughs> and, and yeah keep moving I think so yeah I'm a big fan of that that's probably the other bit of gear that I'd love to not ha- leave home without that variable NDs lots of lenses and uh, yeah and whatever camera suits what variable NDs do you use oh man I think I've got one of just because I, I haven't, they keep bringing, they just keep bringing them out. So I keep <laughs> trying different ones. Um, I haven't used them a lot recently, just because a lot of the cameras I have now have neutral density built in. So. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I have some of the Lightcraft Workshop ones. Yep, those are the first ones. Genus, uh-huh. Yeah, and the Genus, Genus <laughs> ones is good. Mm-hmm. Um, Lightcraft, I think, just came up with a really new, a new one. That is, I think that the, 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 why I have so many of the, the variable NDs is because, particularly here with, you know, bright Australian sun, um, I'll, you know, I have, they, because they have ranges that like, particularly like the Lightcraft, they'll have like a high range and a low range thing. So 
the high range goes up to I don't know how many stops, but it it's it's also quite dark, so it's not very good at the end of the day. Um, so then I have the lower range uh, Lightcraft workshops, but uh, yeah, I think um, I think Lightcraft just brought out uh, a new one, uh, literally in the last couple of days, which I'm keen to do, keen to see, which is the calling it up here. Edit. <laughs> If you like, you know I'm not just... going to edit this out. Oh come this on! Is, this is the character of our our podcast. <laughs> this is this is literally. <laughs> uh, it's called the um, right. It's called the Rapid ND. Okay. And I think it goes up to like from two stops to eleven stops or something crazy. Uh-huh. I think most of them will do like two stops to eight stops, and then I think their high end is maybe something like four or something stops. To, uh, or six stops to 11 or 12, but they've done one, which is this thing I've been asking them to do for a while, which is a, a big range from almost only a couple of stops where you'll never really notice it up to 11, which is almost enough for, for bright sun without having to get into any of that, you know, the interference pattern where you get that sort of weird star-crossed effect. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, look, people poo-poo them, and, you know, I'm always, I'm always getting my stuff color corrected anyway so if there's any color shift but i've just i i think that and also they break you know they're very to make them to give this literally it comes down to physics to make them um be as effective and to give you the most range and to give you the the, the most range without getting the star cross effect they have to make it out of really thin glass and they just you know that you know they they get that they, they don't they don't last a lot mm-hmm. so yeah, and you mentioned uh, that you have a quick release, so you don't have to unscrew them to put different ones on. Is that? Yeah, that... yeah. There's, there's, um, basically clamp-on filters are not new. Uh, I have on most of the smaller, um, Cine glass is uh, Cinevirus glass has an eighty mil, basically an eighty mil clamp-on front. Now you can get these from a few places, or Matt Duclos will Duclos lenses will sell the eighty mil adapters on the front. Mm-hmm. And then I have a little cheap sort of, I can't even remember where it is, um, cheap um, um, clamp, little plastic adapter, which lets me screw 82mm filters into it. And then it has an 80mm 80, an 80 clamp. Basically, it turns any, a screw thread filter into a clamp-on filter. And then basically, I mean, I probably should just buy lots of variable NDs and put them on every lens. But since, you know, the variable NDs are as variable as, as 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 their job. It's 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 hard to have lots of the right one. So mm-hmm. in, invariably, I will just take the one filter I'm using off and plonk it from fil- from lens to lens. So I think it, I can't even remember what that is. It's a very simple little little um, uh, little plastic plastic adapter that yeah it goes from 82 mil threads to 80 mil clamp on and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So rather than having ten of these filters. And, yeah, it's pretty quick. Um, yeah, it's called the K Vision LH80. Okay. C A C A V I S I O N. I just get it from B and H for like forty forty dollars. Oh. Okay. Throw away the plastic hood thing, and basically they kiss you eighty two mil on the front, eighty clamp on the back. Anyway. Great. That's cool. I I got a um a magnetic snap on thing like that. I don't know if you've seen. Oh those. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I know. That. I know that. They're good if you don't have a heavy hood on them, but if you do. I've found that I've I've just knocked them just lightly and they've popped off. 
So that was my concern. Yeah. That I think it was terrific if you were just having one little, one little tiny filter mm -hmm. on a stills lens. Yeah. But the problem, as you know, a lot of those filters, particularly the variable ND, they make them a little bit wider, than, or they, if they're an 80 mil or a 77 mil thread, the filter itself is a bit bigger, so that they don't vignette and they don't cut off. Mm -hmm. So I think. Uh, a, they're heavy because they're generally metal and more than one piece of glass. You know, it's two pieces of glass. Um, so they're heavier. They are wider than the rest of the lens. And so, yes, I was always worried that exactly that problem that you would, with the magnetic thingy, just very easy because it sticks out the front and it's wider than the rest of the lens. It would be yeah. very easy to, to knock. And basically those things, they hit the ground once and they do not. It's not like every other filter. Yeah, that you hit, they hit the ground. That's it. Just don't even bother looking at it. Just pick, it, just frisbee it into the sea and go and get another one. So the theme of a couple of these podcasts that we're doing is technology versus humanity. Because um, you hear, you'll hear in a lot of podcasts where they they're like, we don't want to talk about the geek stuff because everybody talks about that. We want to talk about real stuff like story, like like yeah. business issues. You know how to make your your videography business actually grow or you know how to organize it better or whatever but that's not what tech move is about tech move is about the gear and the tech yeah um and and we like it because it's fun yeah i think on the rc podcast you've mentioned in the past that you can't ignore the gear no it's kind of a dirty word really isn't it it's sort of <laughs> the gear doesn't matter but yeah it does you know i mean no, there's to a certain point this is a really hard this is a really as you no doubt have because you've touched on it it's a hard subject to, to talk about and how to talk about how to quantify gear. I mean, I think it gets to a point where, yes, definitely the gear does matter, particularly if you're trying to make your stuff look different to someone else's or to give yourself the new fresh look. Um, that sounds kind of cheesy to say, <laughs> but, but, but you know, the, I mean, if gear didn't matter, then we'd just shoot everything on iPhones, right? Right. Of course it matters. The look of a 7D with a 2.8 zoom does look different from a 5D Mark III with with nice prime glass wide open. It does look different, and it's not. And I think it's sort of wrong to poo-poo the look, you know, because light and it it affects the way you think about the content. Obviously, you cannot ignore the content. There has to be something there. There has to be a story. There has to be something interesting or emotive or uh, some human thread to follow to make it even watchable. Otherwise, no, no, no lens choice or no light or no grade or whatever will, will ever save you. But if you've got that, if you've got that back end, then, then yeah, the choice of, of, of light and aesthetic decisions on, on lensing and framing, definitely, you know, and the, the tech you use to capture it, Definitely, definitely matters. You can, you can, light is, you know, light can add emotion and, 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 and the look of something can, even if it's subconsciously, uh, and even if, you know, not people necessarily notice it specifically, they might feel it, they might feel the difference. So, yes, it's easy to say that only geeks and, you know, pixel papers are going to, spot the difference from one thing to another. But I think if you've done it right and if you've made the right choices, definitely it can aid the, not necessarily the story, but it can aid 
the emotion. Definitely. I mean, um, there's definitely a lot of a lot of guys out there shooting like if you applied one particular style, one particular set of lenses and their look and their this the whole package of their style applied it to another subject, it wouldn't necessarily work right. Definitely, their particular choices suit their particular their particular style. Like you know, um, uh, look at the look at the shooting style of, of Tree of Life or To the Wonder. I mean, his work is is outstanding and it's a very specific, interesting style that works well with the emotion of his content. You know, and and uh, shot another way might be might be you know might not be as effective. Um, it it gear does does matter to a certain to a certain degree definitely and it can obviously help you. Well, that was... It's not an easy subject. <laughs> no, you said it very very well. You've obviously thought about it a little bit. I've thought about it a little bit, but not you know it's very hard to it is very hard to quantify. Well, I think um, that that gear has changed art has has in effect created art. I mean. That just the technology of, of filmmaking is an invention, mm. right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think we're we're. I mean, everyone's the battle, and which we've pretty much won so far, has been to make uh, the new gear. Uh, you know, as I say like Alexas and DSLRs and things, make retain the look that we're all used to, retain the film look, and retain. The right uh, feel and structure and grain, or if you can call it grain, or or um, dynamic range and or motion blur, all of these things. We've worked out how to how to keep it feeling like what we're used to, you know. So, and if we do, I mean, the, the classic thing is just shutter speed. You know, if you, if you do shutter crime, if you break that 180 degree rule and you add motion blur, it's subconsciously tells the audience that this is you're not watching a film anymore yeah. and you're watching something more like reality TV. You're watching the whole 48 the whole 48 frames issue thing right is you know is is uh, is uh, indicative of that right uh -huh. that people um you know all of us it changes subconsciously the way you perceive the content you know I think per personally for me the the hobbit was ruined by for me for first time watching it as 48 frames you know, and I would much rather if I would I, would, I was I was completely out of the movie the entire time. But that's you know that's a very much a different thing. We could have a whole another podcast about that. <laughs> I'm sure. There's, luckily, there's, you're never you're never you're never going to run out of content. There's always going to be yeah. Um, as the technology changes and as um, uh, gear evolves. You're 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 always gonna have you're always gonna have something to talk about, mm -hmm. and it's a good thing. It is a good thing. So I think we're gonna need to wrap up. But um, do you want to tell us about how to how to find your stuff uh, on the on the internet or anything like that? Contact information or anything that people listening out there might want to look at for further information about you? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I'm, my website is uh, either jasonwingrove.com or wingrove.tv. Uh, I'm, yeah, basically that's, that's, that's probably the best spot to find me or on Twitter, I'm wingrove, 
W-I-N-G-R-O-V-E, uh, or the podcast that you've been mentioning, if people haven't listened to it. It's infrequently. Um, it can be found at uh, fxguide.com, uh, who are you know my sort of i think mike seymour from from fx guide and fx phd is my my co-host and cohort on that show mm-hmm. and that is uh we talk about digital cinematography workflow um art and craft and we generally have interviews with 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 um some great people in the of the industry and yeah we try and keep it reasonably balanced definitely we talk about gear and new stuff but also we like to sort of talk about how it affects the craft or how it's going to make your life better on set or uh, and or just talk about the craft in general. So we don't like to get too bogged down in gear, but it is, you know, it's it's definitely just like a lot, the last subject. It's it, Gear is important, but um, only as much, so much as it lets you get on with your job or makes your job uh, easier or more creative. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, Jason. This has been a, a wonderful interview. It's fascinating to me. I was riveted the whole time. I'm sure our audience <laughs> members will be as well. <laughs> okay. So yeah, thanks very much. Pleasure. Pleasure. And that's our interview with the director, cinematographer, Jason Wingrove. Keith, congratulations. That was a very nice interview. Thanks, Rod. It was actually a lot of fun. He's he's really easy to talk with and, and also really interesting. I, I, I found it very interesting, and I'm sorry that I wasn't able uh, to join you guys there. That sounded like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, it was good. I, you know, I love talking with people like that, you know, experienced people in the industry that you can just learn so much from even just little things. You know, like I learned about gas. Yes, mm-hmm. I did too. I, <laughs> I'm i going to use that new acronym myself. Yeah, I've got a lot of gas. Yes, you, you, I think I, I think you definitely chronic, do. Chronic gas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that, that somehow may have missed that, you yes. know, uh, gas stands for um, gear acquisition syndrome. Yes. <laughs> Which I which I like very much. I, I thought that was very good. I uh uh I, I thought about you instantly when when he mentioned that. And and, and yeah. all I could do is see you with your pen just nodding your head. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> well, anyway. Gotta get that. Gotta no, get that. that. <laughs> He's got that. I don't have that. Do you have Gotta that serial that. number nearby? <laughs> you you mind uh, digging through all that junk in the basement over there? It was great. Um, one thing that I thought was pretty interesting is the fact that he doesn't use zoom lenses. Yes, I I heard that too, and uh, he he's a big prime guy, and uh, yeah, he, and uh, he he'd rather move in for the shot uh, than zoom in. And that's that's pretty cool. I think he does some kind of documentary style commercials, um, but I think a lot of his stuff is also he has time to set up, and so uh, and has all the gear, you know, the follow focus and the remote monitor and all that stuff. I have a follow focus, but I don't use it very often because I'm usually shooting on my own or it's just not convenient enough to, to use it. You know, when you have a set and you're doing commercial, you have time to move around yeah. and ch- change lenses. Yeah. Uh, when you're doing stuff, some of the stuff I do, kind of documentary stuff, it's a little harder. Yeah. So, uh, but I, and then, and then the fact that 
the the zoom lenses just aren't fast enough for him. Yeah, so, right. You know, he's just he's shooting wide open all the time. I guess. Yeah, and, and, and it sounds as if well, to to me, and looking at some of his material, I don't know if zooms are smooth enough for him. You know. Oh, smooth in what way? Like go going in and out. If he were, oh. if, if he were to actually use it, use zoom. You know, uh, uh. Like like record the zooming in right and out. exactly. But I don't think like a bad bad episode of Starsky and Hutch. Right, <laughs> like what I do for my da da scenes. Oh okay, right. That, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I, I I did I did like this one thing that he said. Focus is a creative choice, and for me, right. I, I choose not to be in focus most of my most of the time. <laughs> Uh, and it's your your creativity. That's right. That's my creativity, and and everyone's gonna have to love it after that. Yeah, and I'm accidentally creative all the time too. So I uh, by uh, being out of focus, right? <laughs> but but you know, but what about your? What, what did you think about his? Uh, uh, you know, his monitoring. You know, using wireless and all this kind of stuff. Is that is that something that's highly reliable? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the cinematographers nowadays are doing the the wireless HD uh, transmission because then they can just have this thing. They could just be walking around with this monitor all the time. Right. And uh, they say, they see exactly what the cameraman's seeing. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's cool. You know, it's just being untethered. Yeah. Um, the camera has a bunch more stuff on it, you know, cause it's got to have this transmitter and things like that. But, right. but uh, yeah, I think it's great. I don't have that yet. I have a kind of a, Amateur's version of for my helicopter, my my RC helicopter stuff. Oh, but it's okay. just low low res right. transmitter, <clears throat> basically. So I can you know, like get a point of view of it crashing, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> it's its main use. But um, <laughs> well, you know what I what I also enjoyed was uh, your discussion of well, m maybe not so much, but the uh, Zakudo stuff that he was talking oh, about yeah, the, so so fondly and uh yeah, the uh the loss of zakudo as a sponsor right <laughs> zakudo we actually love you guys here on tech move so we we love you rodney and i love you zakudo right. jason I, hates you but we love you right. <laughs> exactly no jason actually to be fair to jason i think he said he likes a lot of the stuff there are just a couple of things he didn't like right and, 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 and i think it's just the evf that he didn't like that much yeah, and I and I kind of know what he means about the EVF. In my opinion, the main reason that, that I use the EVF is that it fits all my Z Finder stuff. I've got two Z Finders, right? And the Z Finders are the things that you pop on the back of S digital SLRs, right? And you usually just use the pretty usually pretty awful LCDs that the DSLRs come with, right? Um, that are not very sharp, but um, it allows you to at least enlarge them. Well, the same Z Finder pops onto the EVF. And I can use it for that as well. But yeah, I kind of agree. I'm, I'm not thrilled with the resolution of the, of the EVF. But I do like the fact that it's really rugged and it uses um, L6 batteries, mm -hmm. which are the kind of batteries that the Canons use. So you don't have to use a lot of different kind of batteries. And it's pretty small right. and compact. But I do agree about the, uh, the ports and things on it. I find that they stick out on the side, which is where you... It's kind of in the way of... It's in the direction of the camera. And so when you're moving it up and down, you tend to kind of rub against the camera parts or just, just in the way you can't like move it down by the lens. So what I do, and I didn't, I didn't tell this to Jason, but what I do is I actually have a 
kind of a swivelly HDMI uh, male to female adapter that I plug into the EVF, and that allows me to rotate the cable. Oh, that's, that's attached nice. to the camera. Yeah. yeah, and it just kind of allows me to get it, kind of get it out of the way and have it more versatile. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, and I also use a really super super thin HDMI cable. They make these. Most HDMI cables are really thick. They're like a quarter inch in diameter. Right. And they're not very flexible. Um, and, and those are just you just can't use those with with camcorders because they're they're too stiff. Okay. Even when, if you get a short one. Uh, it's just like you won't be able to do anything with it. So I, I ordered these really thin, um, I can't, I think it's ZIO, ZIO cables. Right. Uh, and they're, they're like less than an eighth of an inch thick, but still high speed and high quality. So that's what I use as well. And that allows me to, to use that EVF. But uh, what, are, what are some of the other things that you, that you found interesting or? Uh, I actually or thought curious? that the whole Movi discussion and his oh, essentially yeah. his DIY movie because <laughs> I completely approve of that. And uh, you, you but know, it doesn't sound like he's finished it. No, it it, it doesn't. And, <laughs> and, and it, but you know, at the same time, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, like you said, at the time he didn't want to spend, you know, what was it, ten grand or something like that, twenty grand, whatever yeah. he said, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, the nineteen hundred bucks was just at a point where. He's willing to take the gamble and mess around with stuff. So, right. you know, uh, I, I, I did enjoy that. And, uh, um, you know, it, it was, you know, it was very, very interesting, especially. But, you know, you do, of course, you go and look at, you know, the the actual movie stuff and it really does look great. And it really does look like it performs super, super well. And, um, you know, I, I would be interested to hear what uh, uh, or see what he got off of his uh, you know, a uh, box of loose parts with no box of... with, with no diagrams at all. <laughs> you know, reverse engineering. Yeah, yeah. And I I do think that the movie, and I think I said this before, that things like the movie you're gonna start getting a lot cheaper, and uh, and probably in a few years they're gonna start replacing Steadicams. I, I predict this. We'll, mm. we'll it, it, it uh, Tech Move episode. We should be up to episode seventeen by then. By Tech Move episode, <laughs> episode seventeen, <laughs> all Steadicams will be in. Uh, will be obsolete. <laughs> We're calling it right now, uh, and that really relieves the pressure off us because we only have to get one episode out per year. That's right. until that point. So. Well, I'm really relieved at this point. That's right. Yeah, for, well, at least I'll save you on that, all that editing you guys were talking about, too. <laughs> That's right. That's, yeah. yeah, I like Jason's uh, philosophy. Well, you just have to, you just kind of learn to, to start accepting. <laughs> uh, I, I, think, I, I think I can quote him and say that you either get better at talking or you just don't care after a while. Right. And uh, yeah. yeah, but you know what, folks? We care about you, but still, we also care about time. So we're going to let some stuff go. So we let a lot of stuff go. Yes, we do. Um, so what else? Oh, he like he really liked the Rokinon fourteen millimeter lens, which actually I don't have, um, and I probably will. I've actually been looking around for that. I probably will wind up getting that, and that's that's around the four four fifty range. Right. Not the most expensive one. Now, uh, y- y- you know, he he mentioned that he he even though he likes it. He doesn't rely on it that much because of the wideness of it. Is it something that you need that that wide shot? 
I would use it for Steadyham. Mm-hmm. And I'd use it for specialty shots. I think it is important. If you're in a situation where you just can't get back far enough. Right. And you need to see a, see a vista. Right. Or see some kind of overview. Yeah. I'm probably going to get that lens before the end of the year. I think that's a good one. I think that's yeah. I, I think that's real. Uh, you know, for 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 me with the micro four thirds, a fourteen would be a twenty eight, and that would be dynamite. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. you can get that. It's probably a bit bigger and heavier than than you need for the micro four thirds, just because right. it's meant to do a full frame. But I think it's it's a good lens, and you'll be getting that center area of the lens that's a little bit sharp, probably sharper and less distortion. Right. So that's always just a bonus. Yes. And uh, yeah, so what else? He has you know a bunch of gear. He has Epic X. He has a Canon One DC, which is the 4K DSLR. Yeah, and uh, that's actually really intriguing. I I'm tempted to think about getting that. <laughs> I'm tempted to think about getting that. That's uh. Well, you I know, never, just just do your usual thing. Put it in your uh, Amazon Tech Move sponsored uh, shopping cart, and uh, when you're ready to go, pull the trigger. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Actually, maybe several of our listeners can do that as well. Yeah, that that that's what we want them to do too. <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, speaking of listeners, so today, so I don't know when this is going to come out, but today is actually Cyber Monday. Yes. Congratulations. So, happy Cyber Monday. Happy Cyber Monday. So did you get anything? I bought nothing. Oh, okay. I did bought, you look for anything? I, uh, did I look for anything? Um, no, I can't say that I did. I actually, I actually was a good boy and I actually was working, uh, uh, through, through my day. And so oh, you weren't surfing the web at work. Unfortunately, I was not <sighs> able to do that. I know I actually, I actually had things to do, which was terrible because I ordinarily <sighs> would be, uh, uh, surfing and, and looking for great deals, but no, I did not. But, uh, you need to get that, you need to get that app that just automatically, as soon as you sense your boss is walking by, it automatically switches to the spreadsheet view. <laughs> And then as soon as they go, I switch back to the browsing Amazon for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Right. You don't have that app? No, I I, I can't say that I do. No, I don't. Uh, the, the good thing is that uh, uh, where I sit, I face the bosses. So I actually... Oh, oh they're not so, looking at your screen. They're not looking... They're just looking at me. So like... They're uh, looking at your expression. So you have to pretend like you're working. I'm, I'm frowning. I'm looking at the screen hard. <laughs> You know, that's why I've mastered sleeping with my eyes open. I, 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 I do all these different things. I'm a professional. Remember that. I'm a professional. <laughs> so Cyber Monday, there were actually quite a few uh, cinematography gear things that looked really intriguing. One thing that I actually talked about in a previous episode that I didn't get, and it's been a while since we talked about that, is the Shuttlepod Mini, the Kessler. Yes. Yeah, they had a Cyber Monday special. If you bought over $500, then you'd get $100 off. So I got, you know, way more than that and uh, got the $100 off. And so I'm going to be getting my shuttle pod mini very soon. Congratulations. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, let's see, some of the stuff that I didn't have a chance to talk with Jason Wingrove about was the FS700, because I know he's talked about it on the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was going to ask him, you know, what do you think of it? And He's kind of talked about it, and it, not 
not glowing, but not terrible terms. <laughs> and, you know, right. like, is it, yeah, it's an interesting camera. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> it's serviceable. I love it. I love it when we say serviceable. <laughs> serviceable. That means it'll be um, in the garbage bin in about two weeks. <laughs> and I was really looking for um, a Cyber Monday deal on on the on something to upgrade that camera because remember I, I talked about I was gonna probably get the Odyssey Seven Q. Yes, I went ahead and and, and ordered. I, I was see the thing about the uh, convergent design Odyssey Seven Q. That's the recorder that allows you to record raw and and four K on your FS Seven Hundred. Mm-hmm. But it's really in short supply. They just came out with it like a month ago, and it's just trickling out now. So really, you can't get it unless you get on a waiting list. So I was able to uh, talk to my friends at Texas Media Systems, and I bought a bunch of stuff from them before. I think I bought, I don't know, I think I, I think I bought my not my FS seven hundred. I think I bought my FS one hundred from them, and I leased my Canon C one hundred from them. So I, it's between them and Able Cinetech that I buy a lot of stuff from. Oh, okay. So I emailed the head of that company, and he said, "Well, if you if you pay for it now, prepay for it now." You can um, you can get on the list, and when they come in, we'll ship it to you. So, hopefully, I'll be getting it sometime before the end of the year. I'm hoping. Good. Oh, excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, and and the thing that's really cool about that is actually it's an OLED uh, seven inch monitor too. Oh, okay. So, yeah. It in fact the if you look at the Odyssey Seven, that's all it is is a monitor. Right. It's not a recorder. The Seven Q has the recorder option in it. Oh, okay. That's right. I remember asking about that last time. Yeah. So that's why the monitor is like $1,300 without the recorder. But then you have the recorder functionality. It's a little bit more. Like another and then thousand you have to buy or the, something. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have to buy the the uh, options for different cameras. So I think that's another several hundred dollars. And then you have to buy the SSD drives for, you know, so it's it's a pretty big investment. Right. But at least I got that on order. So, but I was going to ask him about that. Um, I didn't get a chance to, because I'm sure that he's probably looked into that, being a, a 4K guy and using external recorders. But uh, anyway, so that was a um, that was a fun fun interview, and I'm gonna hopefully get back to him in a, in in several months when he's forgotten that he's recorded uh, <laughs> right. an interview with, with us. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> one one great story I did love was uh, how you how you wrapped around our disasters. Oh and, yeah, and his disaster, even, even though uh, he didn't want to really, you know, uh, nothing has really happened recent in recent memory, or at least didn't want to cop to it. <laughs> uh, the 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 great thing about like uh, the the walk of shame through the uh, airplane and airport <laughs> about forgetting film and all this kind of stuff. That must be just disastrous. Uh, the the feeling you must have is is just got to be incredible. So I I enjoyed him sharing that with us. Yeah, I think we've all probably gone through situations like that. At least he didn't leave the film there. Right? <laughs> that, no, that that, that, that that's cool. that's really that's really very true. I mean, like you know, for I think a lot of us who 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 are listening and are you know in our you know kind of. Uh, uh, delving into this, you know, it'd be like uh, forgetting the uh, the SD cards in the camera or something like that when you have to shoot like a, a 
you know, a wedding or something like that. Or and whatever. leaving the SD cards at home by accident. Right. Thought you thought you loaded them in. You Ex- yeah. Exactly. One of those things, yeah. you know. You've and, never done that. Oh, no. I never do that. <laughs> at, you know, I can, I can safely say I haven't done that today. So... <laughs> <laughs> that that that's and, what I could say. Yeah, you know, I I think I actually have done that once in a while, and you know, what saved me is a lot of these camcorders, um, especially the consumer prosumer ones. They actually have built-in memory, right? Yes, and so I didn't have the card, but I I was able to use the built-in memory. Oh, that that that's good. Do you find yeah, that or, do you find that reliable, or or is still having the cards better? The only reason that it's not reliable is if you destroy your camcorder like I did once. Yes. And then you can't access the internal memory. But <laughs> Right, 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 right. But, uh, yeah, I find it. It's it's a little harder to offload it because you have to plug it into a USB to offload it, and it's maybe slower. Right. But, uh, no, it's reliable. So what I've done is uh, if I have a several cameras and I maybe I forgot, maybe I'm one SD card short, uh, I'll take it out, and I, and I did load it in the one that had the internal memory. I have several of those. I'll take it out of those, and I'll use the internal memory of those, and I'll use the cards for the the camcorders that don't have the internal memory. So that saved me a couple times. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a a tip a tip for people that are that's really right. unprofessional. Unprofessional. <laughs> well, that, that 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 was a great interview, uh, Keith. That was fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing that uh, that interview. Uh, with us, and we hope to have uh, Jason back uh, on our little uh, program here uh, soon. And we also hope to have uh, other guests uh, coming on the the podcast uh, in the near future too. Uh, but we have to find out who would be actually interested in talking to us. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can find just as a little plug, uh, you can find Jason Wingrove. He's at wingrove.tv, and you spell that W-I-N-G-R-O-V-E.tv. And he's also got a podcast, and it's on uh, fxguide.com, and that's the letters F-X and then the word guide.com. He has a a great podcast on that website that Keith and I listen to. Quite regularly. It's quite fine. Yeah, it's one of my go-to podcasts. Yeah, besides Tech Move. Of course. Right, right. So uh, anyway, Keith, thank you so much for that. That was great. Uh, We are going to take a little bit of a break, and we will come back with more excitement right here on Tech Move. So, uh, you know, we've come to the end of another terrific episode here on Tech Move. But, Keith, I uh, I want to draw your attention to something that you helped me out with. And I don't know if our fine listening audience has uh, even figured out yet. But Rod Louie has a new recording device that I'm using right now. Do you notice it, Keith? I do notice it. Do you really? I do notice it. Okay. I notice it because I, I, it's a little bit easier for me to to do some of the uh, editing and processing of of your tracks. 
<laughs> Which is and I'm a good... very, very grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, when you... you saved me hours, yes, hours I... of time. Well, you know, I, I really didn't think it was all that much trouble recording onto a tin can <laughs> and celluloid uh, for well, you to edit. You know, it, the thing is, is that you you were you got this new mixer and you replaced the legendary, legendary Vestax. The v- right, the uh, Vestax. Uh, PMC5 Pro 2 was my uh, original mixer, mixer, which is a DJ mixer uh, that I used before. And you got that at Walgreens, right? <laughs> Keith absolutely <laughs> hated that darn thing. I still love it and will continue to use it uh, despite what he may say and actually in spite of him. So uh, I will... I will still use the best. I just won't be using it for this particular recording. Uh, And uh, so let me share with the good folks what I uh, uh, ended up getting. And I got a a beautiful Behringer. uh, And, you know, it depends on what side of the fence you come from on how you pronounce the name. But it's the Xenex uh, Q802 USB. And uh, so it's either Xenex... Xenix, Mr. Mixelplex, whatever you want to call it. It's a Behringer and it's uh, the Q802 USB. And I frankly, I, I love it. I think it's I think yeah. it's a great mixer for uh, what Keith and I are doing right now. Well, so one of the things that I, I recommended to Rodney, so the Vestex, fine mixer though it is. Yes, it is. Uh, was, an anal- <laughs> was an analog, completely analog mixer. And so what uh, Rod was doing was he was actually taking the analog output with patch cables and things like that, and 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 plugging it into his IMAX line uh, in line line in right. Yep. And and it was it was okay. I mean, it worked, but um, the sound quality because of that connection because it was an analog connection, and so it it was going from analog and then them using the IMAX to convert it to digital, and the the IMAX okay. Uh, analog to digital, but it's not the best, and you'll and we're getting a lot of noise. I think some of it was from the mixer, and some of it was from the analog to digital converter and the iMac. So what I suggested is to Rod, if you get a new mixer, get one with a USB output that outputs the mix on USB, and then plug the USB into your Mac, and then it's all digital. So that's what he did. And you know, it's it's actually very very convenient. You know, I'm I'm so not, I'm staring at it right now, and I'm just not used to it because all I've got is headphones plugged into the mixer. I've got my mic plugged into the mixer. And then the output from the USB is going right into the computer. I got three cables coming out of this thing. Out of the Vestax, I had like a virtual like fire hazard coming out of that <laughs> out of that thing, right? I mean, you know, I had yeah. to have like some uh, some left and right so that I could pan this and pan that and uh and and get this just right and all this kind of stuff. It was a whole operation uh, uh, going the analog way versus this USB way. And, you know, you could accidentally trip over the wires. Yes. A hazard. Absolutely. Yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. And so with uh, Keith's prodding and uh, <laughs> and overall insistence that I uh, get this mixer, uh, I, 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 you know, took the recommendation to heart and, uh, and I made the purchase. And you know what? It, it's a terrific, terrific purchase at that. And uh, oh, and you know what's great about it too is that it has onboard effects, 
right, Keith? Yeah. I mean, that, that helps a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, it helps a lot. It's pretty pretty simple mixer, but it's got a built-in compressor limiter and XLR inputs and control room aux ins and outs. And it's it's actually kind of amazing that they can get all this stuff in for such a low price. Right, exactly. And, uh, and speaking about... Uh, that low price, I I got it for you know a, a fantastic price of eighty bucks, and uh, yeah, which which I think amazing. which I think is really really great. It's a uh, you know it it, it it it's not their smallest mixer, and it certainly isn't their largest one, but it's just right for uh, for what I want to what I want to use it for, and uh, it's a great little mixer. Yeah, Behringer stuff it's kind of amazing. They make you know this stuff's really inexpensive. Yeah, but it's actually pretty good uh i have several of their pieces of gear and i've actually not had any problems with with it with reliability or quality of sound now it, it you know when we first started our podcast you brought to me a a little like uh i think it was a four input or five input mixer for me to borrow it, you know if i wanted to try it and stuff wasn't that a behringer yeah that was a behringer it's like an, it's like an old ago. one yeah, it was, it was, yeah it's a really old one yeah, but it's compact, had a lot of EQ, sound was pretty good, bunch of XLR inputs and out- outputs, and yeah, a good PA mixer, okay for recording. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then I actually have uh, a couple Behringer-powered speakers. Oh, right, uh, That I use okay. for, for, for uh, you know, uh, screenings and things like that when I need it. So, um, and they work as monitors if I need them, because they're kind of angled, so you can put them on the floor facing up to people if they're for sound reinforcement monitors or as actual sound reinforcement. So yeah, those are great too. Yeah. Those work really well. So yeah, I would recommend that, you know, for the low end, but still okay quality, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good stuff. Well, you, you know, I, I love the Behringer. It's a, it's a great piece of equipment and it's just right for what you and I are, are doing. And, uh, we hope that, uh, you folks out there can notice the, uh, terrific sound quality that we, uh, are just improving on day after day, ladies and gentlemen. So, day after uh, day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of sound quality, yeah. I, people may have noticed that my my throat, my voice is actually a lot better. Right. Uh, at the end of this episode, rather than the beginning, when I could hardly talk, it was like phlegm, phlegmville. But uh, <sighs> phlegmy. So that's the kind of the the magic of podcasting. At work, yes, it is. I, rec- and- I recovered. I was able to to kind of work through it, work through it with the intro segment, with the technology versus humanity part two segment. Yes, got the throat cleared out. The Wingrove interviewed really cleared it out, and right. now I'm fine. Now you're fantastic. Now that we're at the end of the show, so thank you very much for uh... <laughs> clearing it out. Thank you for clearing it out at the last segment of the show. Great. Well, uh, you know, not to push our luck anymore, I think we should uh, close up shop. What do you think, Keith? I think we've we've reached finally reached the end of episode 15. Thank you very much for joining us, folks. We want to remind all of you that you can reach uh, our lovely little podcast uh, through iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. We ask you to wake the kids and phone the neighbors and tell them to subscribe to Tech Move Podcast. Uh, you can reach us on our uh, website, which is techmovepodcast.com. Uh, you can also, like I said before, subscribe to us on iTunes. Look for Tech Move. 
Keith, how about our Facebook presence there? You can find us on Facebook. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we have a Twitter account. Twitter account, it's at TechMovePodcast. And you can also listen to us off of this great mobile app called Stitcher. You search for TechMove, you will find us in anywhere you go. You can listen to the fantastic stylings of Tech Move. And uh, since it's at the end of the podcast, yes, and you won't have to stop the podcast because it's going to be over in a few minutes, just just go over to techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. Or if you have a bookmark of that, just click on that bookmark and just support the podcast. That's right. something there. Please support us. It is the holiday season uh, <laughs> when we're recording this. And uh, we need to keep the lights on, and uh, we need to keep the authorities at bay. Uh, <laughs> Keith, great to uh, talk to you. Thank you very much for another terrific segment. And uh, I hope that uh, uh, we will get another one out pretty soon. And until that time, I am Rod Louie, and uh, of course, the great Keith Moreau is with me, as we always are. And uh, we will see you next time on the... Uh... <laughs> I'm getting loopy. Uh, I forget what... I even forgot what the name of this podcast is. What the... I'm about to introduce us off a major network or something like that. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Anyway, look. <laughs> uh, okay. I've had enough. Let's end this thing. You've been listening to Tech Moves.